everybody and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas and I'm here with Aubrey Lillis and Danielle Renee. If you're enjoying what we're doing on the podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or on Facebook or on any of your podcast services. Thanks RTR for the awesome review on iTunes. He says, I spend at least 20 hours a week driving to and from work. I started listening to podcasts in an attempt to transform this mundane routine into a more positive use of time. Then I discovered the Hellboy Book Club, sandwiched in between hardcore history and jazz podcasts. <laughs> this show is a nice palate cleanser. That's awesome. awesome. I, I, I like the idea of us being That's great. in between that kind of lineup. Absolutely. Funny, educational, and super nerdy, the hosts are becoming the friends I never knew I needed. <laughs> my dad and brothers, huge fans of Star Wars, Marvel, and DC, are my usually go-to when I have comic talk I need to get out of my system. But for some reason, they've never given Hellboy a shot. And I'm the same way. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. know so many people who I talk to about comics, including both of you, yeah. but I've never been able to talk about Hellboy, so I can definitely understand that. Hellboy, despite its pulpy trappings, seemed to attract a more intellectual fan base whose devotion to the mythos expands beyond the pages into a broader pursuit of knowledge about folklore, classic literature, and the occult. I don't say yeah. this in a snobby Fraser sense, <laughs> but rather to describe an open-mindedness that brings people from all different backgrounds and beliefs together with a shared love of art, storytelling, and monsters. Also, a hatred of Nazis. <laughs> Fuck those guys. No, that's a. I think that's a good assessment. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Also, uh, I would agree with. Yeah, we we are nerds. We're just nerdy goofballs. It's I'll, hard. I'll agree with all that. <laughs> it's hard to imagine any Hellboy fan not feeling like they found their tribe with this book club, especially with oh. the time they spend responding to listener feedback. Honestly, if any of the Hellboy BPRD creators are tuning in, they're probably learning a thing or two as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's very flattering. <laughs> Lastly, to the host of the show, no need to apologize for Everett Rabbit Hole you go down. With a universe this rich, it's nice to have somebody highlighting the best references we might have missed. Until Hecate eats pancakes, make mine Mignola. Uh, oh, that's awesome. That was I had to read that whole review because it was so good. Uh, thank you so much for that uh, review. And good now stuff. we're going to do some listener feedback. You want to talk a little bit about the listener feedback? <laughs> so here's what we do. We are talking about Hellboy. We read a comic book and then we talk about it. And then... All the people, you guys, you guys are going to read it too. And then you listen to what we're saying. And then you guys talk and then you say things. And then we look at it and we read the things that you said. And then we're going to talk about what you said. And then that's how we all talk about Hellboy. And we're friends. Hellboy Book Club, reading Hellboy comics and talking to your friends. I feel like that's getting longer every week. <laughs> <laughs> it's just gonna, one day you're going to look at the podcast. Two hours? Why is it a two-hour episode? What? It's just me describing in various ways what we do. Josh W. sent us a Hey You Damn Guys. Yeah. He titled it, Don't Mess With Me, I've Been Drinking With Skeletons. Ah. Greetings and salutations. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for taking time out of your week to put this wonderful podcast together. Aww. I've never really bothered to get too involved with social media on any level, mainly because I don't like feeling like a piece of trash after voicing my opinion on a <laughs> given topic because it doesn't line up with what the mountains of internet trolls think it should be. So I've steered as clear from it as humanly possible. Ugh. But you damn yeah. guys are making it really hard to not <laughs> want to be part of this community. So we'll see. 
On to what I really wanted to talk about, Hellboy and the BPRD. I've read through this stuff at least six times and have obsessed over how the small details always end up coming back and meaning so much more. Mm. And due to all three of your insight to some of these stories, I'm finding things I've missed. And then Aww. he puts in parentheses, six fucking times. That's so nice, though. That's good. <laughs> Do yeah. not deprive yourselves. Read the Hellboy novels. Bones of Giants is still one of my all-time favorite stories. Thank you all, Josh W. Yeah, so yeah. that was really cool. We'll have to check that. Uh, Bones of Giants is one of the novels, and I've okay. actually never read it. So You've we'll got a, okay. a bunch of books that um, Mignol has written, though. Yeah, okay. he's written some other stuff um, outside of Hellboy, and sure. uh, they're really good, too, like the Baltimore series okay. and um, Joe Gollum or something uh, like that. But no, that was a really nice... Uh, it was an email? Yeah, that was, was nice an actual email. email. And I, um, I definitely agree. I think that it can be really hard to be online sometimes. It's very discouraging and it leaves you feeling just kind of salty and left out and really sad and kind of just disgusted with interacting with people. But when you um, when you find a little community that, you know, you're you're centered around the same sort of interests, everybody's being civil, it's perhaps very well moderated. <laughs> yeah. But it's you know, it's it's nice to generally find people that behave themselves and you can have a human interaction that doesn't suck so i agree with that and i think that's what we're trying to foster yeah with the help of jerry turnbull and with the help of kevin alford and etc all these and and all y'all that are writing in where it's friendship and hellboy talking about <laughs> hellboy comics with your friends yeah i think that uh, i'm glad you mentioned jerry turnbull because that uh, Mike Mignola's art Facebook page was, I've said this a lot of times, yeah. was kind of my inspiration for this because I was like, oh, here are some people that are awesome. How do I reach out to them more? How do I make more of this happen? So. Yeah, exactly. We just wanted a little bit more of that. And when you were talking about doing the podcast, you were like, there's not a podcast that I can listen to that talks about Hellboy and I don't understand why. And I feel like we could talk about it and it would be fun to do and... So I think that that kicked it all off when yeah. we found that little community. We're just like, yeah, these people would be cool to talk to, actually. Yeah. I remember when you uh, first told me about it, I was like, man, that sounds cool. And then, like, here we are. What what was this episode, 15? 16, 16, I think. Yeah. And, man, all the, you know, people who write in and the responses and yeah, all the points really. of view that they come through. It's just like, you know. Friendship. I, I love hearing y'all's point of view, and then I love hearing everybody else's point of view. And it just kind of really makes the story richer and deeper because we learn things like people are like oh and i can't I believe used, I, yeah. I i haven't read this before yeah oh same but people are saying that we're pointing things out that they oh i didn't think about that well i mean same when when they when people leave comments or whatever emails and stuff we i haven't thought about some of the things that they've said so yeah it's, it's, it's been really too. nice it's yeah. been really nice so far and i just hope to see the community grow and grow more right before we started recording this one we were having a little conversation um we were talking about um this is a little bit off the side. I don't know what made me think of this, but we um, were talking about uh, the elf stuff in Hellboy when, you know, the... From the corpse? Yeah. That, that whole storyline that the Doina Shi are fading into darkness or whatever. Yes. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Thank you. I don't know. I couldn't put my finger on what it, all that was. But yeah, that kind of mystical, mythical folklore it's very magic and kind of ethereal and weird fairy stuff. None of that here in BPRD. It's totally just switched gears. We're, these are episodes of the X-Files kind of almost. It's, it's more very, grounded in reality yeah. even though it yeah. incorporates all these fantastic so things. So I, I guess I just didn't realize what a turn it would take. It's, it's, it's good in its own right. 
it's just we were discussing just the differences between the two how they're both good but they're they're very different and so i don't know what got me onto that was just thinking about how far we've how many issues yeah. we've actually read yeah we now. have read a lot we're really getting into the good stuff i want more i want all of it I'm i feel excited. like we i feel like we've only like scrape the top of the layer you know sure. oh yeah, yeah. no you we know, we're we're but we're like still just like the yeah. whole rest of the iceberg under the water <laughs> yeah but we are really starting to dig in now it's going to be it's going to be really good here uh going out and out from here we have another letter from mb he said i love the podcast and always get excited when a new episode comes out but I've started thinking that since we're a book club, it might be nice for everyone to have a way to converse in real time. Mm. That's why I started a Mignolaverse Discord server. If you aren't sure what that means, it's basically a server with multiple chat rooms for people to talk in. And if you all are comfortable with it, I could even make a chat room devoted to the podcast. That's super cool. I don't know if you would feel comfortable promoting it on the show or not, but if so, here's the link. Yeah, well, I am comfortable absolutely. promoting that. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> fantastic. And so um, MB sends this uh, link for the Discord server. I'm going to go ahead and post that on our social media so you can check that out. And um, yeah, I'll try to pop in there. I really haven't had a chance to check all that out, but it yeah, sounds like a cool idea. That, that yeah. sounds really fun. That does sound interesting. <laughs> yeah. He says, either way, I'm enjoying the podcast. Keep up the great work. The KG on Instagram has been catching up on our episodes and he keeps me updated. He's like, oh, I'm at episode <laughs> seven now and all this kind of stuff. So I'm glad to have you on board. I hope that when you catch up, you'll give us some listener feedback. Nathaniel Green said, may I politely request a list of the reading order you guys are following in one place. All the issues by episode may be going into the future. No, Nathaniel, you cannot have. Actually, no, I'm trying to get that figured out. But sometimes, and like Aubrey said, we're about 16 episodes in. A lot of times I'm playing this by ear week to week, too. So like I'm now that I have Mark Tweedell helping me plan out what we're going to yeah. do i think maybe i'd feel more comfortable doing that i just don't want to put something out and then we don't follow it or sure. something like that or i have to keep changing it no shout out to mark for sure for helping us well win. i think you know like a list of the ones that we have done and then maybe um you know maybe the one where the next podcast we're about to do maybe right yeah maybe i could go like a month out or you yeah. know just a couple of weeks out but yeah. um i will figure out how to do that i just don't know what's the where's the best place to right, i guess put I that know. on to facebook keep, or we, anyway well maybe in the facebook about page or something like that you know oh sure yeah. and then reading it would order just be there yeah. you wouldn't have to keep i guess you could do like a sticky where it stays at the top the pinned post yeah I think better probably better in the about section because people can find it easily if they're on you know whatever their phone or the computer or whatever yeah, so I will get on that. Um, it's just been really busy lately, but I will find time to do that because uh, I really need to. And you guys need to know where we're at, and especially new people who are coming on. It would be nice for them to also have that. I uh, I was thinking about it the other day, and I'm all like, man, what was the order again? Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, Nathaniel also said, I've been meaning to sit down and write something for you guys. Most of my time commenting and listening is largely on my phone and to and from work. So here I sit, ready to write. What you guys are doing is great, really great. I've been hesitant to take any online relationships seriously because they're just online. Yet, I had a real moment when John got choked up talking about Case in a recent episode, and I cried with him. 
Don't let it go to your head. I cry. I cry a lot. I cry so casually, it makes me laugh. That's not to say my feelings about Case aren't real or valid. Just that I'm not ashamed to let any emotion spill out, and I was comfortable in hearing John. So yeah. anyway, I'm, I, I'm glad that we could share that moment, because that's really the only way we get through any of this crap is together. He says, these connections we are making are real connections, and the feelings we have about and in the community are real. Thank you for what you're doing. The podcast is quickly becoming the highlight of my week. Nathaniel, so thank you so much for that. Your email was the highlight of my week. I, I wrote a kind of thing back, and I was just saying, uh, absolutely. You know, I really appreciate that comment. No, yeah, I, I was, was that on a Facebook or email? It was on Facebook, yeah. Okay, I do remember reading that, and I was just like, so yeah, nice. that, that's like, I, want you, I do cry all the time <laughs> as well. Like, sure. Kathy and I will be sitting there watching TV, and then she'll look over, and she's like, are you crying? <laughs> I'm like... Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Life is too short not to feel your damn feelings. Yeah. It's fine. Just communicate them effectively. That's just why not. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's fine. And then sometimes she'll look at me and go, are you crying? I'm like, no, not this time. (laughs) (laughs) Taylor Dodderman said, not a HB shot glass, but hope it's nerdy enough to meet standards. I never got to meet Case or even speak with him, but I can tell by all the outpouring of love and respect for him through our community that he was a great guy. It's always a sad day to hear of such a loss. The best thing we can do to honor his memory is to try and be as helpful and welcoming to other fans as he was. To Case, and he had like a, he posted a picture of a shot glass that had the, it, it had like the carvings from around the ring, the one ring from Lord oh, of the wow, Rings. Oh, wow, yeah. The, yeah uh, that'll do. The, El- the language of Mordor. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and he and it, you could see that he had some the script, l- some liquor in there, and That'd you know be. he was raising it. He had his Hellboy stuff in the background. So yeah, thank you so much for that. I saw that one as well, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, very well, nice. I, I, I really like that shot glass. <laughs> well, it's and it's it's really nice to see that people are. That's I think that's that's super true. What he said because Case was really very welcoming and very much. One of the reasons that that community was a, such a community. So if we can all be as nice and welcoming and patient and, um, you know, as as he was, I think that the community will continue to grow for the better. Yeah, sure. and lighthearted. He yeah. was very lighthearted and funny and was, you know, didn't get all kind of dramatic but about he dis- all these things. He, you know, and he always discussed very um, deep and interesting topics that were very would hit close to home with anyone else but with him it was very like you could really talk to him because he was an understanding fellow and so if we can keep that same tone going just very understanding and very even keeled then i think that that's i I agree i think that definitely would honor his memory he'd be very happy about that some feedback on the soul venice and others mark tweedale said i find these stories very curious All are essentially feeling out what the BPRD might be and occasionally go into territory that doesn't work, but but in exploring these avenues, it helps solidify what did work. This is BPRD feeling around in the dark for its foundation. It's interesting the way they bring up Roger's changing personality. They'll learn more about that later, but he tends to absorb the personality of those he's around, which is kind of fun because it means the dramatic character we meet in Almost Colossus is probably a reflection of his master. I just got super mm. deja vu. Did we already read this? No, we talked a little bit about this because um, Jan Niklas was saying how... Uh, I swear I heard you read that same thing. I guess I'm mistaken. I'm sorry. I, I don't know no, why I, I thought I, that. No, I haven't read this comment yet, but... Deja vu is the weirdest uh, thing last ever. Week, but no, I agree with all that. It's, it's super weird, and yeah. I have yet to understand why... 
his character took that turn. I guess there's an explanation later. Yes, or? yes. Well, I, I think that's what he's kind of saying sure. is that we're going to learn as we go on. What happened kind there? Of, um, that Roger tends to absorb the personality of the person that he's with. Yeah. And so in Almost Colossus, when we met him there, he was still the only person he had been around with. Was, was that guy. Was Very his dramatic master. guy. Yeah. So um, maybe that's why he was like that. But so why is he like a little puppy dog now? Because I know that Liz is not like that. Well, I always took it as that um, he'd been in that room for 500 years, so like everything is new to him. Yeah. Right. Every, every experience is brand new. It's yeah. like the first time he's ever going to it. And so I feel like it's more like a sense of awe and wonder. He's all like, wow, this is a new experience. And right. Would, uh, yeah. And yeah. Wouldn't, I guess wouldn't you be like that if you were experiencing friendship and the world and everything for the first time? It would kind of be, oh, okay. Taking yeah. everything at face value like he does. But then also like something like a like a microwave. Like we all know what a microwave is, but he's like five hundred years. Sure. Man, it's like what is this technology? Right. <laughs> oh, I, I can just see him discovering popcorn. Oh. <laughs> but I, I, I also think about um he's in a very nurturing environment. Exactly. You know, yeah. Liz and Abe and the people that are around him are kind of taking care of him, you know, sure. they're watching out for him. And so I think that it maybe makes him easier to fall into that role of, hey, you know, um, I can kind of be myself and yeah. ask these weird questions and act like this because these people are taking care of me. So that kind of, you yeah. know, if you treat somebody like a like a baby, they're going to act like one kind of. Well, and also, but I think that he's, he's and he doesn't really act like a baby. He's a very strong individual. He takes responsibility for protecting his friends. You know, he springs into action too. And I, I think that he is a very useful member of the group and has amazing qualities that he utilizes right correctly you know in the moment and not correctly i guess he you know he uses them effectively maybe mm -hmm. but anyway i just think yeah personality wise it's it's interesting to see him discover the world and all of that like aubrey was saying so yeah i don't know i guess i'm i would <laughs> I would actually like to see that even further drawn out, like just more anachronistic <laughs> discoveries of like, like Aubrey was saying, like with a microwave or like with whatever, I don't know. Um, a fridge. Uh, a CD just player. Just little right. things. Yeah. <laughs> just little things. Or I guess Wait, what is a CD player, Aubrey? Okay. It, it was this awesome technology <laughs> that lasers were involved, so... That's all you need. Insert, lasers. Fucking Insert lasers. several <laughs> whack jokes here. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Good discussion on Roger, though. And I think that um, I think they were also still finding their footing with that character, too, how they were going to write him. Yeah. Like I was going to say, do you think that that's a, like a writer thing or do you think that's a story thing or a little bit of both? A little bit of both. I think like Mark Tweedell said, they were still finding their footing. Some of it works. Some of it doesn't. Mm -hmm. We kind of see some of that go back and forth. But kind of going along with that, because I felt like the way that uh, Miles Gunter and Mignola with Omin wrote him in Soul of Venice is a little different from what we see yeah. in these stories. Sure. But Omin actually commented on our Instagram oh. and uh, on our discussion for Soul of oh, Venice. Oh, that's right. That's right. And he said, yay, this was fun to do. Working on new BPRD now. Oh, man. Oh, what man. the heck is that? Awesome. I felt like that was a little is scoop. Is that a little scoop there? Yeah, I don't know. He, he's working on something new for BPRD. Can you just say how... That, yeah, that <laughs> was crazy. Can nerd out for a second and say how fucking cool it is to have... That's the thing about the internet is like sometimes it can be really uncool and terrible and sometimes it can be so fucking awesome because 
how else would I be interacting with an artist I really like and admire? Think yeah, it's really cool. It's really exciting. Like, I love his yeah. work, and I'm talking to him. Whenever Duncan Fergredo or Mike Mignola give us a like, or uh, Katie O'Brien, the editor at Dark Horse, I'm always sure. like, woohoo! I get really excited and proud. Yeah, of that. Well, same yeah. here. I mean, but like, I, I'm an artist. Yeah, I'm talking to <laughs> other artists whose work that I buy, and I like their work, and it's just so cool. It is. It's really it's cool. Very yeah. enriching. It's very encouraging. So that was a, a fun bit of feedback from Oming. We were pretty psyched about that. Some feedback on Born Again. Jerry Turnbull said, I love Born Again. What seems like a throwaway Wii short lays the groundwork for Shanshin and the mysterious right-hand path. Lots to look forward to. So that little story that we read last week, yeah. We haven't seen a, a bunch of that payoff yet, but it'll be really good. Oh, you look like you were going to say something. No, I was just say awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Some feedback on Plague of Frogs. When I posted our teaser image for the Plague of Frogs, Alex Aronowitz said, I can't even tell you how excited I am for this discussion. Now we're getting into the meat. Tofurkey for the vegans. Mm. <laughs> Have you had tofurkey before? No, I haven't. Uh, Have you? Oh, yeah. My uh, older brother, he's a vegetarian, and so every Christmas or Thanksgiving, depending on which one he's at, uh, we'll have tofurkey. And it's, uh, I mean... For a meat substitute veg- vegan meal, it's not bad. Yeah. I don't even know if it's always meat substitute. I just think like tofu is just good in general if you can cook it right, if yeah. you know how to cook it. Oh, I, when, I, when I say... Uh, open good. Well, no, tofurkey, it's that particular Oh, it's, like a, it's a specific kind of yeah, oh, yeah, tofu? Yeah, it's got like, you know, uh, stuffing and gravy, oh, okay. and it's, it's shaped to look like a turkey. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Uh, and when I say uh, meat substitute, I mean more like a, the texture. If you don't eat, yeah, okay. Uh, oh, wow, okay. You know, so you have that kind of meat element i i don't even watch right. the food network no, lately I, so <laughs> <laughs> they talk about their elements the of elements food. no okay i feel you i had yeah. never seen a tofu. i guess when i heard you saying tofurkey i figured you were just talking about we put tofu on a plate instead of eating turkey i don't know no no it's, it's a, great no, it's, it's an cool, actual though. product okay hey how about that alex aronowitz also said we need a proper death metal soundtrack if we're going to go to creepy fun <laughs> x-files to a serious escalating high stakes apocalyptic mayhem yeah, yeah. first track plague rages by napalm death track oh, two blinded God. by fear by at the gates track three Clayman by in flames track four arise by sepultura so i <laughs> I'm, pretty... I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make that playlist on spotify <laughs> oh, yeah we'll have to check that out uh, oh, I'm going to do that like after we're done recording. <laughs> the Oingo Boingo said on Twitter, Danielle saying it sounds like the opening to the X-Files episode really makes me want a BPRD TV show. Oh, man. Maybe if the Hellboy movie does well enough, I can always dream, right? At Netflix, please. Oh, it'd be so good. <laughs> that would be... Wow. Well, now we're thinking... Of, okay, if if they were to give it as much thought and hard work yeah. as what we've seen for example daredevil oh yeah we've been watching that if it's we could really get something good. like that like yeah. the x-file like the the feel of the x-files the budget of something like daredevil and the amazingly talented people who are working on that like with whatever the writing is good and the choreography the actors are in, insanely yeah. good if we could get a team of people to do a show like that. I would not want to see a show if it was some fucking bullshit, though. I don't want to see a bullshit BPRD show. Well, I mean, if HBO can do Watchmen, why can't okay, Netflix sure. do BPRD? Yeah. 
you know, come on, guys, make this happen. <laughs> I, I I love that Hellboy is getting movies and all this kind of stuff, and movies are actually where the money's at yeah. and where, how you bring people on board. But I would, I, I do say, I, I think Hellboy and the BPRD would be better suited for a TV show. Yeah. All the little short stories and they're the episodes. little kind of like, yeah, they're episodes. And I think that some of these BPRD story arcs that we're reading like this one, I think that could be a season. You could do a season of this, you know what I mean, where they're... Moving into the, the new well, facility. I mean, and, and that's what comics are. I mean, issues and little, st- I mean, not ish, individual issues, but there are storylines that are episodes yeah. within a broader season, quote unquote. Right. You've got the overall thing. Oh, the frogmen now is when the first half of the season. And then like it turns out the frogmen connect to a bigger yeah. half of the season, which is a bigger thing that goes on with the apocalypse or some crazy shit. You know, I mean, it's a natural progression and it has an ending yeah so yeah. that makes a good fucking show i know show. i, Even I if wish you yeah. did this like animated style i was just about to say i would like i wouldn't mind seeing an animated version they would need a big budget for, if it was live action because you've got like yeah. all the powers and, the and liz like a, and like abe and Johan. you don't have to yeah. kidify it and no make but it, i mean think it about could like, be like a fucking like thinking like batman the animated series yeah. right or um Castlevania now on Netflix. Yeah, that's really good. Too. I haven't watched that, but yeah, sure. Why not? I don't know. Anyway, we're just going down another rabbit hole. It's yeah. fine. Jerry Turnbull said the secret origin of Abe Sapien is utterly fantastic. Abe is killed, his spirit goes back in time and merges with Langdon Call and the remains of Nun Yabisk. And because of this act, the change from Langdon to Abe is triggered and he is reborn back in the present time. Of course, that's only half the story, and later we find out just how far back Abe's story really goes. So, yeah, I didn't think about that. So Abe was stabbed through the heart, you know what I mean? And so so what Jerry's saying is that he died at that point and went back in time and merged with Langdon Call. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. But I I didn't think about that. He was killed, and you even brought this up. I did. That's what I'm saying. Hellboy was also killed the same way in the island. Yeah. Yeah, he was killed, and then he was brought back yeah. to life also. So, yeah, I love all that. It's a lot of that. When I read his comment, I was like, man, that's pretty awesome. And it kind of reminded me of this uh, one character in the original Guardians of the Galaxy. There's a character, Starhawk, who when he died, he would go back into his body as a baby. Um, right. But but his whole shtick was he, he, he was the one who knows. So you can, like, well, that was going to happen because it was going to happen, but then things don't happen all the way. It doesn't happen the same huh. time, same way every time, apparently. Interesting. Yeah. And Starhawk was uh, Sylvester Stallone in the Guardians too, right? That, yeah, that was him. Amazing. Yeah, or he was that character. Yeah. Yeah. Drew Campbell said, Guy Davis, with a bunch of exclamation points. Well, and, yeah. and thus begins one of the greatest comic book runs of all time. I can't express how much I love Davis's art. His ability to portray both good, pleasant things as well as unbelievably horrific and disturbing things while all tied together in his weird, rubbery style just blows my mind. And his creature design is unparalleled. When I read stories that he's drawn, I just feel right at home. I don't think you mentioned, maybe I missed it, that the Sunken Bell's speech that Abe keeps hearing was first spoken to him by the priest's severed head at the end of Wake the Devil. Whoa! Right after Rasputin tells him that he will one day be speared through the chest. Yeah, so I didn't talk I did about that. did not the, catch that. Yeah, and so I went back and looked at that, and the priest even says, into the caverns of Nunya Bisque, the ocean is calling you home. Yeah. And it's just a close-up of Abe's eye. Like, he's like, what the... Like, as he, you know, he's sure. shocked as he's listening to all this. I but yeah, dumb that I didn't catch yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Also, I love that even though Call's buddies are in a panic and leave him behind to avoid discovery, they still take the time to come up with the designation of Ichthyosapien and write out a label with the date and everything. <laughs> so yeah, we see in Seed of Destruction that there's a little label that says Ichthyosapien Nerd with the date. So even though they're all rushing out of there, they're like, wait, the wait, 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 let's take Is a it labeled out. right? <laughs> yeah, make sure, warm the ink. Make sure you dust it with the ink And powder. he also says... Uh, man, I guess I didn't think about that because it's um, great. Yeah, they did have to make that label. No, no, no. <laughs> and with, no, 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 with no, wait, the wait. ink and the yeah. To be even nerdier, wasn't he out for a while? Because they recovered him, and then some time passed, and then he regained consciousness. Oh yeah, yeah. So that it could have been while he was. They were like, let's name him. Oh right, because there was like a cut. There yeah. was like a time cut. They still, were like, what a, do we? Still a very rude thing to do to a friend, <laughs> I think. Ross Radke said on Twitter, I'm impressed Guy Davis felt comfortable changing some of the specific details instead of feeling chained to Mignolo's version. So mm-hmm. I posted like a comparison of the frog monsters. Sure. And they're a little different, you know. I, I, sa- I would say he stays faithful to the concepts and the ideas, absolutely, but he, he has his own style. So yeah. it's not necessarily that he's even consciously changing anything. I think that everyone because everyone's got their own unique perspective and outlook on the world you know everyone's got their own little brain inside your car and it's kind of you can't help but reinterpret things even by accident yeah that's the guy davis lens i guess yeah guy davis lens at unruly ian on twitter said i know the hellboy stories in the previous bprd series like soul of venice are important but Plague of Frogs, for me, is where the title truly begins to shine. From this point forward, BPRD is always strong and creepy and desperate. Even when they win, they lose. I love it. Katahem posted, Neat, I always liked the frogs. I thought they were an interesting idea, and I was especially fond of the bullfrog design. So that big, uh, yeah. the big giant frog. Comic Explorer said on Instagram, in your opinion, who draws them better, Mike Mignola or Guy Davis? Mignola makes them more monstrous, while Guy Davis gives them more shape and structure, and it looks neater. Honestly, can't decide between the two. What do you guys think? I don't know if there is a better. I think they're they're just so different, and I appre- I appreciate them both for whatever various reasons. Yeah, I think it's good I, to have. I, I think I we're gonna see some really cool frog monster covers by Mignola that I just love sure. and so I think maybe that gives him a little bit of the edge for me but it's it's close and if you ask me tomorrow I might say Guy Davis yeah, yeah. well it's all a matter of, of style and it's all it's it's all about storytelling so this is going to tell one story you're going to another guy's going to tell a story maybe a little bit differently and it's I've, I want it all I want to look at all of it yeah it's fine I'm going to agree with you. All right, gang, we're going to go ahead and get into our book club discussion for the week. But don't forget to check out Mignolaverse.com. Our good pal and listener, Brian Levy, has written some articles on his introduction to Hellboy and the comics. It's a really good read, so check that out. And if you're an international listener, they're looking for contributors, so hit them up. Now we're going to talk about The Dead. The Dead was published as a five-issue miniseries from November 2004 to March 2005, written by Mike Mignola and John Arcudi. Art by Guy Davis, colored by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. We open in North Dakota, and a sheriff and some BPRD crew investigate a barn. They find a dead body there with the frog marks on it and a temple. Hey, wait a second. Yeah, go ahead. I just want to say, uh, before we start, um, I really enjoy the fact that the Omnibus puts the covers in here, because they didn't seem to do that a lot on the yeah, Hellboy ones. Yeah, you're and right. I, I really like these covers. I mean, they're they're pretty just... 
like everybody has a contest like what's your favorite cover and all that so it's nice to be able to see the covers yeah and so it's just you know i just wanted to point that out no yeah it's great and i really like um also because i've seen all the covers but it doesn't have any of the text on it so it doesn't say like the issue number or the big bprd logo so you can really see all the detail that guy davis put into these covers and they you're right Aubrey. they serve as good like chapter bookmarks yeah. When you're going to the next uh, issue, I really like that a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. good stuff. This first page just jumps in, and I, I hate to repeat myself, but it's another great cold open. It's such yes. a, an X-Files feel. It really is. It's the beginning of, of the episode, you're like, oh, what are we getting into? You got local law enforcement coming in, bringing in the BPRD. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> you know, like I told you, per my last email... He's just annoyed that he's here. Right. He doesn't know what the fuck's going on. He's just annoyed that he has to do it. And then these guys are like, uh, actually, this is fucked up. Right. So they find um, one of these ladies has all those frog marks all over her. So yeah. they, they know the frogs were there. And they find one of those fucking crazy temples made out of like a dead horse. Yeah. So remember at the end of Plague of Frogs, like that. he was saying that they will sing the old songs and that, you know, they're still doing like their. Horrible. So wherever they go, they make these temples and they're doing these rituals. Awful. It's really messed up. And they had oh, a lot yeah. of time there yeah. to just be fucking around with nobody you know, fucking with them because some out-of-state developer decided to buy all this right. real estate and not do anything with it. So they're just having a good old time in there. And, uh, you know, you find it, it's a weird hissing alien egg. So I wanted to talk about this a little bit. I'm glad you brought that up. They find this small black creature or it's like an idol. And it reminded me of the little statue in Call of Cthulhu. Remember, sure. there's a little, they find a little statue of yeah, Cthulhu. absolutely. And the way that it's sitting, they it kind of... They combined that with kind of a fucking me. alien's yeah. egg from aliens. And, like, why are you standing there, dude? If I see some kind of weird alien egg, I'm running, Jack. <laughs> I won't be around long enough to see a weird worm, slug, tentacle monster jump out. I'm yeah. already gone. I'm gone. And so when they zoom in on it, you can see it's got like little carvings on it too. Yeah. The little egg or whatever Horrible. it is. And yeah, this weird thing comes out. The agent's eyes start bleeding. Great. And then yeah. we just see like. fantastic. So I was kind of looking at this picture where it takes him up into the air. It looks like this mass of tentacles is coming from that little idol. Yeah, It's it like is. the smoke. Oh, yeah. It's the smoke that was coming out of it. And that little so, but it's not that little pink thing that fell out. That little pink thing is something else, I think. Well, that thing is a, a fucking gross guy, and he starts emitting a a big ectoplasm thing. Do you yeah. see that? Yeah, on page twenty three, in the middle of the page, he crawls out, and now he's doing stuff. Oh, I see. Oh, so, so it's coming from that then. It's I don't know. I don't know what it's coming from. It's kind of, well. Is that like a little tiny? Okay. That's anyway, funny. but that little pink thing is fucking he's, scary and weird. He's, yeah. It's <laughs> a miniature Ogdrew hem slug. And the agents and the cops, they shoot at it. They call Ferguson to throw the flamethrower on it. And it just like, and you know, I don't have a good feeling about that. No, when you <laughs> cut, when you smash cut to the BPRD headquarters, that's not. <laughs> yeah. It's not a sign that something very good happened. I was like, you know, when the cut is like, and leaving everybody with the sheriff dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and we cut to the BPRD headquarters in Fairfield, Connecticut. We see a map with pins on it, and an agent briefs Roger, Johan, and Liz on the frog creatures and their expansion. The frogs are quickly spreading, even with international cooperation. 
and Roger is a little slow to catch on, right? It's sweet, though, how he raises his hand. <laughs> I thought that was very... He's waiting to be called on. I, it's like I a like little it. character choice. And then he's, you know, he tells them, you don't have to raise your hand. What do you... So we're still fighting the frog guys. <laughs> he just explained they're fighting the frog Right, guys. yes. And then he, well, there was a little snippy. I don't think he had to get so snippy. I think if anyone knows Roger, they'll be like, yes, Roger, we are doing that. <laughs> so, Liz, uh, let me know. You know, but he just, he's like, uh... I got asked to do this. I don't want to fucking right. be here. He you can just like that. look at it on the computer. I got my own shit to do. Like I thought that was super fucking rude. When he says that there all the files are on the computer, it made me think of that little device that Johan uh-huh. had in Soul of Venice. Maybe all the files are in there. Or that's, he seems maybe to that's be the research about. guy, right? Right, right now. So, which you always need. You always need a guy that's going to do that, John. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? That guy's really important. I wonder why he gets frustrated so easily. Hey, hey. Johan says he would like to see the files. Each frog site discovered seems to have a greater body of cryptoglyphs etched around the altars. And so when those agents found it in that first scene, one of them says, oh, there's more writing than usual. Right. So that mm. so they're fighting these, they're finding these uh, cryptoglyphs And they're or getting whatever. more detailed apparently. Yeah. yeah. So that's... Johan says, with enough examples, perhaps we might help Professor O'Donnell decipher the alphabet. So they're trying to figure out this frog language. And I don't understand why Liz is objecting to that. She's like, oh, that's what we're reduced to. But yeah, that's actually a really complicated and worthwhile endeavor, though. Right. <laughs> I think that's probably very important. Uh, yeah, there's a secret hell language, but we're just not going <laughs> to fuck with it. Like, uh, yeah, you should probably find out what that fucking says. Like, wouldn't that lead you right. to figuring out how to stop? The frog monsters? Right, yeah. I don't know why she's so mad. Anyway. She has some weird, she has some different motivations in this issue, weird in this storyline. Yeah, yeah, I found it very odd. She also says that she heard the Bureau will be relocating. Is that where Kate and Abe went? Roger asks. No, Roger, not exactly, Johan says. Don't worry, they'll be back soon, Liz tells him. They better be. I, it- I can see him just, tr- like, it's like he's using that word maybe for the, did they already relocate? Like right, he's using yeah. that word that you just used to try and understand what's going on. Yeah. I thought that was a nice little touch. We cut to Wheatley Hall Historical Society and Public Library in Littleport, Rhode Island. And there is actually a Watley Library oh. in Massachusetts. Oh. And it's spelled with one less E. Now, Abe doesn't fuck with, the, he doesn't bother with like the hat and the coat and the glasses. He's in like a just normal oh, yeah, yeah. person. He's, you know. I think maybe he started to become like Hellboy where he's just he kind of people fuck, know yeah. and yeah, he just kind of doesn't do any of that anymore. He's the fish guy. He just, why do I have to put a hat and goggles yeah. on? I just want to sit here and, yeah. yeah. That's a good point. And, and Johan also did that too, but we don't see him do that again. So right. I think maybe once they become part of the bureau, it's like, okay, you don't you don't do this anymore. Yeah, and this I guess it probably makes them feel comfortable being around people who are also maybe a little bit extraordinary and yeah. you know, yeah. you you sort of just be like, "Well, I guess I don't have to." You feel comfortable maybe in your own skin now or lack of skin, uh. I guess, in <laughs> Johan's case. Abe and Kate learn about Langdon Everett Call from a librarian or researcher. I was trying to figure out who this lady is. In the last photograph, he should be 70 years old, yet still looks young. 
like we saw him at the end of Plague of Frogs. Well, I think she'd be the librarian because they're in a library and right. li- librarians hey, like know. Librarians get lots of degrees. You have they, to they get a specific yeah, librarian degree. Yeah, That's there's smart fucking people. Yeah, so they're probably the one, there's probably yeah. They're the keepers of all our fucking knowledge. Yeah, I they're mean, right. You kind of have to know what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And like they know just about everything about their books. <laughs> right. One of the very underappreciated cornerstones of society. Shout out to librarians. Yeah, shout out oh, to yeah. librarians. So this librarian, she says that Call was from an old Virginia family, old money, ship captains, traders, probably pirates if you go back far enough. He went to the sea as a young man, South China Sea, Africa, and sailed under a Captain Elihu Cavendish. Oh, shit. Man, when I read that, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, so let's think about this for a little bit. Cavendish built that old house, Cavendish Hall, and he was looking for Saduhem in the Arctic. And he didn't find it, but his ancestors went on this like endless voyage where all of them were dying yeah. every generation looking for Saduhem. That's what they ended up finding. And it was uh, Cavendish that uh, possessed him to stab Rasputin. Exactly. And Call was probably into all that stuff, too, because yeah. he was like sailing under him. So whatever Cavendish was doing, he was probably helping him for a while. Sure. I mean, he he did have that uh, submarine. Uh, yeah, that weird. And, like, Victorian yeah. submarine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. Wow. <laughs> and I could see why this uh this woman would be so interested in this too i mean oh, it's, yeah. it's hard to not get wrapped up in you know if you're if this is what you do all day and then all of a sudden something truly extraordinary and interesting and weird comes in you're going to want to drop what you're doing and help them with all this shit and then i found this and then i i kept digging and i found this like this is the mystery of a lifetime this right. is most people don't run into edgar Allan poe shit every day you know Exactly. And the librarian tells Abe that Call built a mansion in 1853. He was very specific about its construction and insisted on odd architectural features. When it was done, he married a local girl. And I like this little detail, Kate, because she puts her hand on Abe and he's like married. In 1861, he married Edith Howard and Abe sees her picture and he like holds his head like he's like, oh my God, this is too much for me. I like that little detail. When... uh... When she said the whole thing about um, specific construction, uh, about the architecture, odd architecture, I got reminded of uh, Ghostbusters when they talk about the building that oh. they lived in. Oh, so yeah. they could call school and all that. That's right. <laughs> the librarian says, Call was involved in private investigations of a scientific nature and often entertained curious foreign gentlemen. Nice. Towards the end, he began to travel more and more. On February 22nd, 1865, he left and never returned. What became of him, who can say? And his wife, Abass? Poor thing, the librarian says. Apparently, even at the best of times, she was none too stable. When he failed to come home, she went mad. After a month, she hurled herself into the sea. Oh, Abe says. He says, oh. And we get a vision of it from Guy Davis that's really like, like I imagine like that's what Abe is thinking. Yeah, you know? that's very sad. Abe asks if he can keep the picture of Edith Howard. I think maybe you should, the librarian says. So... I was trying to figure this out if the librarian knew that Abe was this guy or if they were just at, but it's, but from this scene, it makes me think like she does know that Abe just found out he was this guy. I I don't know if that's, I don't know if anyone would naturally come to that conclusion or, or make that presumption, but I would probably observe from Kate and Abe's body language that this picture would be substantial either evidence or have, have, substantial meaning for them or would be something that they 
was it's it's critical to them in some way. She right. can tell by their body language and the questions they're asking. So she's probably like, yeah, you should probably hang on right. to that. I don't know. Maybe that's just my interpretation. But I have. It is a curious thing. Yeah, that, I was trying to figure out if she knew or right. not what was going on outside. Or, yeah. Well, and also because like you, I kind of got that same feeling. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe you're right because it could be you know she could be someone who really buys into all the you know a lot of people are like oh ghosts there ain't no such things as ghosts but you know maybe she's actually seen some paranormal activity and she's like hey yeah anything that has to do with hauntings if you can like make that shit go away right go for it so i have no i don't know i have no idea just something i was thinking about sure outside the library in the rain well kate says yeah abe responds there's a storm coming, Kate says, and she suggests they go back to the hotel and get something to eat. And that kind of reminds me of Hellboy, where he's like, "Come on, buddy, I can get you a ham sandwich." Sure. Like she can tell, she's trying yeah. to do that. she can tell uh, Abe is upset, and she's trying to do a similar thing. Abe says, "You go, I'll catch up with you later." You sure, Kate says, and he just walks he away. Doesn't even answer. Yeah. Okay, so we cut to this surveillance video of an autopsy. The doctor says we are about to begin our initial examination on the remains of the first soldier associated with mission D16F84188. So we get the idea that there's a something happened, there's a lot of soldiers, and he's, this is just the first one. As the doctor documents the procedure, we see a body bag behind him begin to rise up. A knife stabs from inside the bag and cuts the body bag open from the inside. <laughs> a man with a large gash on his face sits up. What the fuck is going on here, four eyes, he says to the doctor. <laughs> and I love Liz's reaction. She's just like, okay. Yeah. We are at a briefing. Manning talks to Liz, Johan, and Roger. I don't get it, Tom. What was that all about? Was he an early victim to the frogs? No, but we'll get back to him later, Manning says. You can't just drop a bomb on that and then be like, we'll get back to this later. I know, right? <laughs> Let me show you this super weird footage and then talk about our funding yeah. problems. Also, I want to point out that the art on that footage, it's like really cool because it has that surveillance camera look uh, yeah. with the low quality and just kind of the, yeah. Also, it's got that date in the bottom. Well, I want to point out yeah. that the date is hand drawn. Oh, sweet. yeah. That's neat. And then how you also get like the... Um, the lines, the tracking the, lines. Yeah, the tracking lines. Manning explains the BPRD's funding problems, and he says they are thinking more creatively. Creative, I think, is another way of saying we will not have more agents, Johan says. <laughs> no, Manning responds, but we will be relocating to Colorado to an abandoned military research facility that was going to waste. With the frog epidemic moving west, it's an ideal location. I don't understand, Roger says. What's all this got to do with the man in the bag? It was his idea, Manning says, and he reveals his name is Captain Benjamin Daimyo, a former Green Beret currently working in special ops for the Pentagon. He had an interest in the BPRD since his incident and has been working as an informal consultant. He has access to the Pentagon, and that's how he found the new site. Mm. He seems like an asset, yes, Johan says. Glad to hear you say that, Manning responds, because Daimyo will be joining this task force as the new field commander. And Liz doesn't seem too happy with this She's information. Fucking I, pissed. I am on board with Liz on this, to be honest with you. But think about it this way. Think about this for a second. I mean, he shows him this video. Yeah. Then he immediately goes into talking about budgetary reasons <laughs> and relocating. And now he's like, this, oh, by like, the way, this guy's your fucking boss yeah. now. And like, it's all like, what? just springs that bullshit on you. It's just like, oh, yeah, that guy who, that's your new boss. Like, the guy who just popped what? out of the bag <laughs> and said, what the fuck's going on here? Liz says that Abe and Kate are coming back. Yes, well, I heard that before, didn't I? When Hellboy left, Manning responds, 
I need a career man to lead this team in the field. This a man committed a- to government service. I like Liz's comment right here. She goes, that's your idea of stability? Bring in Captain Zombie? Man, this guy is like, just makes the weirdest calls just from out of left fields. Really just, why haven't they replaced him? But Manning says, he's not a zombie, Liz. He had an accident. An accident? They don't put you in a body bag if you have an accident, Tom. He was dead, Liz says. Yeah, but only for three days, Daimyo says, entering the room. Sorry, director. I know you wanted to make a formal intro and all. I just wanted to break the ice ASAP. And he addresses the team. I'm Ben Daimyo. Not as pretty as I used to be, but looking around this room, I don't see how that's going to be a problem. And he also says he's not planning on changing any things around them. Captain Zombie, he says to Liz, that's pretty funny. The burn lady, right? Yeah, she says, but why don't you call me Liz Sherman? I just want to, this is totally off topic, but on page 36, you really, and in and, and all of the pages, I'm saying like, over, you know, every every page Guy Davis draws is like this, but it's really crossed my mind when I was looking at page 36. He draws Liz like a person. Yeah. And I know that that might not sound unusual to a lot of people. It might not cross a lot of guys' minds, but when, I know I'm speaking just of myself, I don't want to speak for other people, but when I'm reading comics, I like to read comics where everybody is drawn like a person, right? and the women aren't drawn like weird, bulby aliens (laughs) that don't make sense, and their bodies are impossible and weird and like just weird to look at, and also they're wearing impossible clothing that is actually not clothing. It looks like it was just like they're wearing paint or something. She's wearing actual clothes. You can see like there's, it's fab, it's the way fabric moves on people's bodies, just like all the dudes in the comic are whatever the clothes they're wearing. And it's like, she has just, she looks like a normal person. Yeah, exactly. She just, her proportions are very average. Mm hmm she's you know what i mean i don't know she's not the sex symbol of the team well it's and it's just a very well and even when you say sex symbol like sex for who yeah like sexualized for whom and it's it's just a very you know it's not a narrow everyone can look at this person and be like hey the narrative of the story instead Mm. of hey a weird pin up (laughs) specifically for like a very specific demographic of people if I think of a sex symbol for the team, I just think of Roger's butt. There you go. Issue. Well, I think of him more of like a cute little. I don't even sexualize that because it's just like a like a toddler running around with like they took their diaper off and they're running around. You know, I don't know. But for like as far as Liz go, like she just looks like a normal person. Yeah. And I'm not saying that what like and and normal would also be if if she was heavier than this or if she was skinnier than this or if she had different skin color or if she had different hair or whatever that would all also be normal i'm talking about like she's not wearing paint she's she's you know right it's it's just a very i was very much struck by that like her facial expression is also yeah just facial expressions instead of always looking like she's about to give someone a blowjob <laughs> she she has reactions to things and her face is she's concerned or she's paying attention or she's like what the fuck did you just say to me or or whatever she's contemplating she's afraid she's happy she's got all these different expressions like a human would and that's also something that anyway i don't know her body language when she's sitting you know she's not always arching her back she's kind of hunched at her shoulders like a normal person when you sit down and you're listening to someone talk she's a little bit hunched over right anyway i just appreciate that like i I want to 
just say that. It's, it's good to point that out. And I think even John Arcudi, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but John Arcudi even uh, makes some comments about how he has only uh, he only has his wife and, and daughters. And, and he writes about how he wanted to write Kate and Liz as the way you yeah. write the way he's around women all the time and he knows how they really talk and he's like I'm gonna write women like this instead of just like yeah and Kate like she's, Kate's yeah. usually wearing a windbreaker right or yeah. something you know what I mean and that's that's something that really strikes me as they're all here to do a job or go on an adventure or or relate to one another and the story is actually telling the story the art's telling the story right and it, I really feel like it helps ground the story, too, because you're like, oh, they're regular people. It's storytelling yeah. at its right. finest. And I think that it's something that when you see an artist that's committed to really telling a story, you, you don't see pinups and you don't see expressions that don't make sense and you don't see body proportions that are outside of the average. You, you're going to see people you can relate to. You're going to see people who tell a story and their expressions tell a story. And the, the art is going to, number one... At, at the top of the list it's going to tell a story right and it is fun to look at it is good to look at that's something that i you see online these fucking trolls like well you just want what do you want us to look at just looking at whatever but what am i looking at beautiful art that tells a great story i'm looking at something that's that's i like looking at it i don't know what anyway there's no i don't think there's any argument against this that would be substantial i think that Mignola and Guy Davis and all these artists we're getting, I think they tell a wonderful story. That's all I really wanted to say. So sorry for the little aside there. You can cut as it's much good. out of that as you want. Right, Daimyo says, hello, Miss Sherman. So you're Johan Krauss and Roger. Hi, Roger Waves. Now, what the hell is that, <laughs> Daimyo asks. What is what, Roger responds. What do you mean, what is what? That, Daimyo points to Roger's groin. He's got that wooden board with the ring on it. I was looking at it as like his, his bolt hole or his um, um you know his poor Roger. He's got a coat rack. Right. Well there's a <laughs> or a knocker. There, like there's just, a good uh he just goes, he's so cute. Hi. He's just so cute and then he's just like, What the hell? You know, I just feel so bad for him. <laughs> well, there's a good panel of it in the last story where Guy Davis does a flashback of when them finding Roger and that he was bolted to the Yeah. He was bolted to his stand or whatever with that with that ring. I somehow feel like it's just part of like the construction around here, I kind of think of it like you know something that was left over, like when you're like, I mean, he was constructed out of right stuff. Yeah. all these parts, yeah. so that's just one of the things that was there. Yeah, yeah. I and just I, feel, and I feel I like just... it connects to the somehow internally to the um, yeah sure. porthole on the chest. Oh yeah, <laughs> I just feel bad for him that he's he's being very friendly and he's high, and then the first thing he says to him is "What the fuck," you know, <laughs> poor Roger. And uh, I like this little side moment with Liz and Tom. She's like, you could have told me he was here, Tom. Because she <laughs> called him Captain Zombie and all yeah. that stuff. And uh, Daimyo says, okay, I know I said I wasn't going to shake things up, but we're going to have to get some pants on this one. <laughs> and we cut to this weird scene. We see this doctor. He's in like this blue room. There's all these mushrooms Ugh. everywhere. And he's like feeding the mushrooms from this tray and it's it looks really disgusting whatever he's putting in there well a lot of mushrooms grow out of a lot of various substrates as we've talked about there there's this substrate and there's that substrate and there's dirt and there's you know coprophilic mushrooms mm. that prefer to grow out of dung mm. uh so maybe that's what that the stuff dung is of ungulate animals though okay so the f i but i don't know i guess his diet has been this for so long that yeah, it would be. It's just like a right. Sure, it would grow out of that. We'll talk a little too. bit about that later. But yeah, that you know, there you go. 
I'm sorry, Aubrey. Were you going to say something before we got got to this scene? No, I'm just listening to Danielle and then staring at that tray, and it's like he's holding a tray of fucking poop. Yeah, uh, all going through my head. That's all. That's all I'm thinking about. <laughs> I, but I don't know how you would live in those conditions that weren't carefully controlled and and not get some sort of bacterial infection. Or, or sepsis. Well, well, we'll talk about what kind of bacterial infection he gets. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> I just you know. I have to say though, I do kind of like the way that they're. Um, I can say like the, under, yeah. The mushrooms are all grown up. It looks columns, super cool, and yeah. you can see like the division of the rooms he's walking through. Oh right, and yeah. it's just like you know, that's a lot of. That's a lot of. That's an, <laughs> gives you a good an idea. Unusual yeah. amount of yeah. mushrooms. It, it's really it's interesting. Taking over rooms, <laughs> and I'm not gonna. I th- I think it's cool. I actually like this a lot. I I just feel like. As a scientist, wouldn't he have a more controlled atmosphere rather than just scraping poop off a tree? Right, I don't know. Right. Maybe that's not. At this point, he's, he's lost been, his mind. Yeah, so yeah. many years. We cut to the Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado, which is a real Air Force base. Liz feels that all these changes are happening too fast. The relocation and this daimyo guy. Liz says he doesn't even know how to talk to us. Lies. And Roger finds these wings on the plane. Traditionally, pilots' wings are given to kids, and so yeah. that kind of made me think about that. His little butt's still hanging out. Yeah, and Daimyo calls out, come on, move it. Hey, Roger, what happened to those pants I gave you? Aww. On the helicopter, Daimyo tells Liz that he can tell she doesn't seem too happy, and she tells him happy has nothing to do with it. Being effective as a team is what's important here. She also says they don't know anything about where they're going, but he does. So Daimyo explains that the facility was the center of military research and development in the 50s. Liz says that info helps some, but you haven't told me about you, Captain, or what happened on mission number whatever the hell it was. You can just call me Ben, he responds. I really like, I think I'm on board with Liz on this whole thing. You know, she doesn't like the fact that they're saddled with a, saddled with a new team leader after seeing a weird video. Um <laughs> But Liz isn't like, you know, I don't want a new person just because, like, I don't want a new person. She's more like, we don't know anything about you. We don't know anything about this mission, where we're going, and you know all this stuff. And so I'm on board with Liz. Yeah, although if you didn't trust your superiors, would you be as vocal to their faces about it? I would be kind of scared. Right. I'd be like, look, if there was something fucked up going on, they would try to launch an internal investigation with like a third party or something i don't know maybe i'm being too literal about this i wouldn't be like hey you're fucked up and i think you're weird and i'm well, a little suspicious of you to well, be he, honest uh, he, you know he he brought it up he said yeah. you don't seem too happy so he kind of like opened up that can of worms sure he, he i guess i would have been like no, everything's fine and then been like i'm super scared that maybe you're a weirdo inside but i don't know if i would say that to his face maybe i'm just a coward she's a very brave person is right. all i'm trying to say like that is very that's oh, yeah, quite no. a leap to make is to be like yeah, I guess I'll just tell you to your face that I'm suspicious of you. And I, I really like this beat where she's I like, agree. <laughs> yeah, and I really like this beat where she says, you know, she doesn't know it. She's trying to open up the door for him to tell her about what happened on that mission. And he just goes, you can call me Ben. And she just kind of looks at him like, what the fuck? You know yeah. what I mean? I like that that little beat right there. Yeah. Wow. Roger calls from the window. Liz, Johan, look, and we see the new headquarters. Not as pretty as the Falling Water building, but definitely large and built into the side of a mountain. Right, so yeah. you know there's some, uh, some cover if you need to go. I saw that there. and I was just like, wow, that's fancy. Yeah, it looks really cool. <laughs> it's like huge and giant. and It feels less like a home and more like a military base. Yeah, it's, right. You know. 
It's like something I think you would like see out of like G.I. Joe or something. <laughs> right. And I was looking at Guy Davis's notes on his sketchbook. He based the top of it off a submarine. Yeah, it looks and like a submarine. And if you look, it looks like a submarine on the top. Or you were just saying it reminds you of, of something. It reminds me of kind of, of like something, whatever, shield right orders military would be base or yeah. something yeah well say so i said yeah joe but yeah yeah. So, um, yeah yeah something like that yeah. it, it is military and yeah, it's, it's very got, it, i mean it's got that that grand military structure look that you know we sticking out from the mountain and kind of you mean basic as hell it's just <laughs> exactly. like well you know what i mean the, it's the, a stronghold it's not it got well, any aesthetic qualities well no all. i meant like you know the the yeah. size of it and everything you know it's no, like sure, this giant sure. structure you know it's like this big blot on the side of the wall Back in Littleport, Rhode Island, Abe finds Call's old house. And we go to the next issue. It's a very Edgar Allan Poe, Lovecraftian kind of thing here. As he walks in, we get flashbacks of the Victorian submarine and Call in the diving suit. And Abe is just like looking around this old, the house is pretty wrecked. And he finds this big parlor room. It is a parlor room. Yeah. At the BPRD, I was trying to, it's not the same room where they were doing that ceremony, no, though, it's right? Not, it's no. not. Okay, I was trying to figure no, that, that out. No, that was a secret room. Yeah. At the BPRD field office in Colorado, Damio works with the crew who are setting up the bureau in the facility. Is it Damio or Daimio? I'm Let's sorry, Daimio. No, no, yeah. don't be sorry. I'm actually asking. Let's well, get this out of the when way I looked for it listeners. Up, when I looked it up, it was Daimio or Daimio. Okay. So those were the two ways that I found to pronounce it. It's usually Y-O for Daimio, okay. but I think you can pronounce- We could probably walk the line and Yeah, kind of our listeners let us daimyo. know. Hey, yeah. look, if this is your name- let us know how you we should say it, I yeah. guess. <laughs> what if there are two of them out there and they both pronounce it differently? I, I don't know. It might yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of names are pronounced different ways. Di- but We could kind of straddle the... We'll do our best. Daimyo. Daimyo. I don't know. The techs think they might be able to recover some files from the reel-to-reel data. So there's some pretty giant old machines there. But Daimyo just wants them to get the elevators to work. And he compliments Liz and Johan on their new uniforms. What do you think about this? Okay. He says it makes them look more like a team, and Liz seems to like them, too. I like how she's posed. Like, she's like, you know, she's sure, like, yeah, yeah, I've seen worse. It just, it's like a uniform. Yeah. <laughs> Glad we could agree on something, Daimyo says. Now, where the hell's the goofball? What's his name? <laughs> Roger, Liz answers. Hi, Roger approaches. I have pants on. Aww. And there's this beat where Diamond's he's not impressed with the pants. You can just kind of see right through the pants, that Aww. big wooden thing with the ring on it. You know, I was thinking, like, if he's going to wear pants, he should, like, um, cut that part out of the pants so it just, <laughs> so it just like, looks like it's just still there. Right. Um, Let's forget about the pants. Yeah. yeah. Great. But I'm what's still, his obsession with the pants? I, I still think, <laughs> you know, if, if, if Roger wants to wear clothes, or if he doesn't want to wear clothes, is really fine. I don't really care. But... If he was interested in wearing clothes, I would try and introduce him to the kilt. Oh, sure. Not a hey. lot of people can pull it off. Some people can. I, I guess maybe it's a cultural thing, too, though. I wouldn't want to get on anyone's nerves in that arena. But, oh, yeah. You know, if, if there is a general kilt that doesn't have the, um, what is it that's the... The pattern. The plaid, I right. think. Is that the cultural aspect of it? Yeah. The tar- you know, maybe the just tartan. the tartan. Tartan. Thank you. Tartan. Excuse me for saying the other thing. It's tartan. I couldn't think of that word, um, but there aren't there monochromatic kilts that Possibly. are just for it's specifically some kind of a, it's a functional thing, yeah. right? Like you know, so I I guess I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it, but Daimyo seems very unimpressed with the pants for sure. So 
I guess we're not getting Roger and Pants for more than <laughs> two panels. It yeah. just seems, uh, sorry. Go ahead. Say, it just seems kind of weird that he wants to wear Roger and Pants. I mean, it's just like everybody else is fine with him not wearing pants, sure. but he seems to be uncomfortable because the first thing he says is like, that's the first thing I'm changing. He has to wear pants. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's in pants and then his eye goes right to the well, little thing it, again. I, I, I think it like, was just a... I think it's more his problem. Well, right. I think it was just a clever way of injecting some short little humorous beats into an otherwise very heavy story. Right. I, I, I appreciated the little clash of personalities there. Yeah, but I've actually thought about this a little bit. If they did do a live action or a BPRD TV show or whatever... You would have one guy just walking around with his butt hanging out, sure. and it might be kind of weird, you know. Like, you do know. you think a, a general audience would be like, "Oh yeah, this guy just has this wooden piece of wood where his at least you wouldn't be, get like an eight foot blue his... dong in the face." <laughs> I mean, some comic book movies go there, right? <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I kind of think about Roger's like butt and thing like a like an action figure, right? You know? Yeah, I mean, nobody's yeah. nobody's caring if an you know like you're. Yeah. A doll. Sure. Yeah. And then it kind of leads you to like, well, if we're not hung up about this, why are we hung up in general? And then it kind of leads you down a little rabbit hole of like, why are any of us wearing clothes? <laughs> <laughs> so let's just leave that for another day. Because my t-shirt is awesome. Your t-shirt is awesome. <laughs> but but on that, before we finish that side note, let's get NDN Funkadelic and our friend Ross Radke, who did the Dictionary Inferno versions Those of Hellboy to, to do uh, Roger with the kilt on. Sure. That would hey. Be great. <laughs> Listen, Captain Damon. Ink Vember is the first assignment. Yeah, there there you go. Let's get Roger some clothing options. (laughs) That would be great. Let's see Roger in different different styles of dress. See which one suits him best. Listen, Captain Daimyo, maybe Roger's not the smartest guy in the world, but he has been with the BPRD longer than you have. That alone means he's due a little respect. Not the smartest guy? Can you even call him a guy, Daimyo says? What the hell is that supposed to mean, Liz responds. Doesn't his file say he was made out of horse manure and blood? No, he's not, Liz says. You know, it doesn't matter what he's made out of, okay? He's as human as anyone I know. And then Roger comes up. What should I do with these, with the pants? (laughs) And Daimyo just takes them. I'll take care of them, kid. And he just kind of walks off. But I think he did hear what Liz had to say. Yeah. You know, I think that he's he, he is processing some of that. Sure. Back in the weird room with all the mushrooms, we see a skeleton. Wait, you skipped the part Oh, did where, I skip yeah. a... Well, Roger... Oh, I, Liz I skipped a whole like, page. I can't yeah. fucking believe this guy. And then Roger's like, well, I still like him. Yeah. And I wanted to point this out on this last page where Liz and Daimyo are having their exchange. We see Johan looking all weird. Yeah. He's like looking around looking back around. and forth. He's in front of those machines. And then on this page, we see that he's, uh, you know, Liz is asking him, am I just being a jerk? You know, am I just being too territorial? You think that's what it is, Johan? And Johan's just like spaced out um, with his ectoplasm on these machines. And she's like, Johan. And he just kind of snaps out of it. And he goes, you will excuse me, Elizabeth. And he just walks away. Now, here's something I just want to point out real quick is that pretty much every story, Johan's like, Oh, it's just cool. I just use my powers, just kind of doing my thing. Oh shit! Yeah. Now I'm possessed by a demon and a ghost. <laughs> it's a ghost demon, and so like, should he stop fucking doing that at some point? Because right. it's never turns out well. He's like, no, it's fine. That last time was just that was a one off. It was really an unusual situation. I promise it's not gonna happen. Oh geez, and then right. it just keeps <laughs> happening. At some point, it's like. This is actually a pattern where it happens more often than not. Should you maybe cut that shit out? Well, I always thought it was something more like he was just kind of compelled to follow the path that he keeps going on. Like, right, just, right. Yeah. Sure, I wouldn't call it a path, though. It's just like... Well, I don't mean like 
path as in like a path through life. I mean the like specific path in for him. Like right now, he's looking at these monitor or right. things, and he's all like, he's like, oh, but this go happens down this like consistently yeah. every time where sure, he's like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna let my ectoplasm out. Oh no, now I'm possessed, and it's kind of like maybe stop doing that. Right. <laughs> what I'm saying is like maybe I feel like maybe he can't. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's just, just compelled. Well, maybe I don't know. I I I like his character and I think he's a great addition to the storyline and the teams. If this were happening in real life and it wasn't like a cool story that we were reading and enjoying, it would be like, okay, you're not on the team. Right. You can't be on the team. You keep getting us into danger. Well, I think we would start off with like, dude, stop doing that. Yeah. If you don't, you're <laughs> yeah. off. Yeah. Right. And I, but I, I, I think that he's great and awesome, and I want to see more Johan. I want to, as an observer outside of this right. realm, and not, you know, their characters. I enjoy the characters, but I think if this was an actual team of people, he would not be allowed to do that shit. <laughs> I don't know. We cut back to this weird blue room with all the mushrooms. We hear a bunch of tapping, and we see a skeleton and, and some fish at the top. Oh yeah, top left. I'm and like some fish in there. That's weird. It, it kind of makes me think that it's just like a, um, you know, like the wipe from like Star Wars, you know. Like oh right, <laughs> fish, fish wipe. Fish wipe. There you <laughs> exactly. go. Exactly. Back in Rhode Island, Abe sits in Call's creepy old house, and he looks at a picture of Edith, and she appears to him. Langdon, she says, "Madam, I don't know you." Abe says, "I'm not." Shh, she says, and she appears in flesh and blood to Abe, but to us, the reader, we can see that it's a skeleton hand, so it's kind of cutting back between these different things. We kind of see what it looks like in real life, and then what Abe is seeing right. is kind of this vision of her still alive. Yeah. You know, it's never a good thing when, like, you know, you're in, like, the old evil house, uh, or not evil, like, run-down house, yeah. and then all of a sudden snap, you're in a, you know, the place in its prime. It well, I mean, sometimes it could go right, but sometimes, most of the time, if it's somebody you haven't met before, things usually go bad. Right. That's usually a bad thing. Yeah. Well, he seems to not remember, like, what's going on, where, what's going on. It's like a dream, you know? He's right. entranced by this under a spell. I guess, like, Johan is. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Lightning strikes, and w and we are back in the house in its prime, like Aubrey said. Edith looking normal, and Abe still in his trench coat. Abe says, I'm not the man you take me for. Edith says, you are. I know you, even if you do not know yourself. She hugs him, and Abe says, where are the doors and windows? Why, Edith asks. You miss the world? Has it been so kind to you? And we get all these cutaways to Abe getting just fucking Spot injured and in Wake the Devil, Box Full of Evil, and Plague of Frogs. I gotta say, like, when this uh, panel's popped up, I was like, oh, right, all that stuff happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a nice reminder, because we've gone, like so far since like a lot of them yeah we we really have since all these hellboy stories too here's everything you want your books your cigars peace me i am here and some truly creepy horror masterpiece as it flashes back and forth i really love what guy yeah. davis does here and i also like that abe smokes cigars or whatever call smokes cigars that's kind of interesting because hellboy smokes cigars oh right liz wakes up terrified damn room too big never get used to it who the hell stayed here anyway? Giants? And she kind of walks out into the hallway. She hears a voice and she follows it. And she finds Johan talking to himself. 
And so I tried to translate some of this German stuff. I just put it in the Google Translate to see what it would say. <laughs> we all know that goes great every so, time. So yeah. So and, and this is probably not completely correct. And well, I you was, could probably get the idea. Of and it. yeah. And well, when I read this the first time, I never even looked it up. So the first time I've I've never looked it up sure, ever. Sure. Whenever I've read through this story, so I think you get from context what's going on. But I thought it was interesting. And if we have any German listeners, please let us know what the translation for these word bubbles are. I'd be really interested in that. But what I got was, yes, sometimes I'm lonely. It does not matter. The others are also lonely. I only wish, I wish I could. And then Liz interrupts. What's going on? And Johan says, can't you hear it? You don't hear it? And Johan just runs off. Oh, he's talking about the tapping. Yeah, and so he's hearing this tapping, and we get, you know, Guy Davis does a good job of building this. The tapping is going on, and then at the same time, what's going on with Liz is kind of happening. It's cutting back and forth. I like the gigantic BPRD t-shirt she's sleeping in. Oh, yeah, her, like, sleep shirt. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that, too. The left chest placement of the logo here. It's just a very... Looks, like, looks where, really comfortable. Yeah, where did she get that? I, I want to know. I want one. Yeah. Liz goes and she wakes up Roger and she tells him what happened. I, I love that exchange and you know, <laughs> the way that she goes. And then he ran off saying, did you hear that? And he's like, did you hear that? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, no, I mean, yeah. did you hear something? <laughs> <laughs> and they see Johan. He enters in an access code on the elevator. and But they're calling at him, but he's non-responsive. And they get in the elevator with him just as the doors close. The action shots are so good. And I, I don't mean like it's action like action scene like a fight scene or something i mean just she's they the fact that they try to run in there before the doors close yeah. and you know there's just there's so much momentum and it's so dynamic it's just really yeah, right. and it, it's it, even simple things. Yeah, it really tells a story. It really keeps it going. Well, I really like when the doors open and Johan runs out and he's got his arms up. You really get the idea that he's like this craze, yes. like he's just running around. I don't know. I I, I think <laughs> I that's in line really with what you're good. talking about. It's really good. I yeah, I totally agree. That's a hundred percent what I'm talking about. Johan bursts out of the elevator door and there's a bunch of machines and file cases. Johan approaches a large door and he bashes it with a metal rod. Break it down. We've got to get in here. I must be free. And Johan tries to take off his headpiece, but Liz and Roger restrain him. I must go to to the other side, he says. And then Johan kind of snaps out of it. Oh, hello. And he just collapses. <laughs> no, uh, terrible. And we cut back to the team with Daimyo. And he says there is no fourth sub-basement. I assume that that's where the elevator took them. Fourth sub-basement. Wow. Yes, there is, Roger says. Come on down and see it for yourself, Liz says. And I like the idea that this is all happening very fast. You know, they're they're really trying to do something about it. Right. She still got the shirt she was sleeping in. Oh, she, yeah, she just put some pants on. She fucking pulled her pants on and <laughs> was like, went to her boss and said, look, there's some fucked up shit going on. It's really, it's really very interesting. Anyway, I thought that was neat. Daimyo says they're not there to go exploring, but Liz says it takes priority because Johan felt something strong down there. And Daimyo reminds them of their mission. The frogs are spreading all over, more of them every day. Who knows what they're up to with those runes and stuff. I don't want to get sidetracked because my job, your job, is to stop those things now before it gets plenty worse. And I love this um, shot of all the frogs. Guy Davis is really doing his thing, showing the frogs on the run, making an altar from a dead body, and spreading out to the city. And I just really love them all like bursting out of this sewage pipe and everything. 
Liz says she understands, but they can't function as a team if he can't function. And she points to Johan. And so she makes a good point there where she's kind of like, look, yeah. we, we need him. And if he's not working right, then we're not going to do our job right. She he's says they yelling in German. Yeah. And she said and he says, uh, what is he saying there? He says quick because she's like, we need some equipment to get right. in there. And he's like, yes, quickly. Daimyo tells Johan that he's fine now. It's probably just radioactive waste down there. Johan says, Capitan, you are a man afraid of little. I know. So why do you object this way? All right, I'll get the damn drill, Daimyo responds. So Johan almost kind of appeals to him like, you aren't afraid, are you? Right? Yeah, it's a little kind reverse of like, psychology there. Yeah, well, I, I know say. you're you're brave, so uh, what the fuck are you afraid of? Right, yeah. I'll just love it. He knows how to play. <laughs> he really does. And we cut to this giant construction drill, <laughs> this giant machine Christ. that somebody actually rides in. There's like four people on the side of it too, right. just hanging on. And Roger tells Daimyo not to worry about Liz and Johan. They're pretty smart. The drill gets through, and Johan senses the air quality is bad, so he says that Roger and him will go first. And Johan and Roger, they find the old man. So this is that room with all the blue and the mushrooms and the skeletons, and Johan and Roger, they find that this little old man in there with a typewriter. In the next issue, the old man sits, and at first I thought he was sitting in like a cell or something. Right. But we're going to reveal he's just sitting there with them. <laughs> Daimyo wants to know why Johan is still down in the sub-basement. He says, we've got frogs to kill, lady. Liz says Johan is examining the bodies that were down in that room. And we see here that the old man, like I said, is, is sitting next to them. And Liz tries talking to him as Roger enters. Roger says that they're wasting their time. He only speaks German. And Johan already talked to him, saying that he just babbles nonsense. Daimyo says the medics can handle it from here. And the man interrupts. Excuse me to say, I am not insane. In the fourth sub-basement, Johan dictates his report. He says the human remains do hint, but expressly say nothing. Better to bury them quickly, I think, and forego any autopsies. He also finds the sub-basement is not finished. It's carved out of rock, and he sees like this big hole right there. And when he sees the hole, he says, not to say this feature is suggesting a geomantic connection, but it's interesting. And so I looked at some of this geomancy. There are 16 geomantic figures. They're the primary symbols used in divinatory geomancy. Each geomantic figure represents a certain form state of the world or the mind and can be interpreted in various ways based upon the query put forth and the method used to generate the figures. When geomancy was introduced to Europe in the Middle Ages, the figures acquired astrological meanings and a new forms of interpretation. The figures bear resemblance to the Bagua, the eight trigrams used in the I Ching, a Chinese classic text. Yijing. The Yijing. So I just thought, I was like, geomantic, what does that mean? So I had to look that up. Johan also finds the word vorshit. Vor, how do you say that? Do you know um, how, how you say that let word? Let me look at this. Hold on. Oh, 75. Let me look at it on the phone real quick. Well, it, it means beware. I really wish I had to pay more attention in German class. Vorsicht. <laughs> well, either way, it, it means beware. We see that word carved into the wall. And Johann finds a wall of file cabinets. Suddenly one opens with a file folder sticking up. The drawer is also labeled with that word that means beware. 
And Johan takes the file. Back in the kitchen, I was trying to figure out where they are. It looks like they're in a kitchen. I I'm not sure. Upstairs, Liz, Daimyo, and Roger talk to the man who reveals himself to be Gunter Ice. Ice says the long isolation made him cautious. And when I saw the bubble man coming to get me, I thought the monsters had taken over. The monsters, Liz asks. The captain knows what I'm saying. He knows, Ice says, and Liz looks at Daimyo puzzled. Daimyo asks what he was doing down there. I says, if you just read my notes, and we see his notes are all full of holes. It's like the typewriter um, just h hitting through the paper over and over. Yeah, like, like hole punched it out. <laughs> right. Ice tells his origin. He was a fucking Nazi scientist. Fucking Nazis. He worked in the German Defense Department, and during his time there, there were factions within the department and competition between projects. And we see Rasputin, Rasputin there. And Rasputin's like, don't you horn in on my money for my project. <laughs> the project I was assigned to was to my liking. Operation Himmelmach was our aim to tap the Divine Infinite for assistance in the defense of Germany. But other parties won out. And towards the end of hostilities, Project Ragnarok was launched. A failure, apparently. The scientists involved, along with others, vanished at the war's end. And we see Cronin and Kurtz. ICE was then recruited by the U.S. and this facility was built for their research. And I was thinking this might be a reference to Operation Paperclip, which was a secret program largely carried out by special agents of the army in which more than 1,600 German scientists, engineers, and technicians were recruited after the end of World War II. ICE's team was developing the work of Professor Galaragas. So that's an interesting name that we might see again later, and his experiments in alternative energy sources. But they were out of their league with the research. They soon had this colossal accident. And we see this giant machine, um, and it seems to overload. And then there's this huge explosion that fries all the scientists. But I survived the explosion, only to discover that he had been entombed in the lab. I screamed and screamed and hammered on the walls. They didn't hear. They never heard. Come on, Daimyo says. You've been down there since 1958. How did you live? What did you eat? Mushrooms. Mushrooms. They grow in the dark. Yeah. And there were also many spiders. Yes. <laughs> this creepy guy just down there eating spiders. So yeah, when he's putting that poop on there, it's just like mushrooms and spiders. Poop. Man. Right. Yeah. I... J I... Yep. <laughs> Liz tells Roger to take Ice to his room, but Daimyo says that he'll do it. As they walk away, Roger asks Liz how old she thinks Gunter is. He looks about 50 or 60, she answers, but Roger has calculated that he should be 85. Well, those must be some mushrooms, Liz says. I just want to say, he does not look 50 or 60. I know people who are 50 and 60, they do not look like that. He actually right. does look 80-something, so I thought that was a very curious... Right, yeah, he you're right like about that. He looks like a very old man, I will say. I have to say though, like when I was a kid, like when I would think of fifty, you know, like <laughs> when I was like eight, <laughs> you know, that's what I would think of as fifty. But now I'm like, I'm like eight years away from fifty. Sure, I know. <laughs> and so now I'm all yeah. like, yeah, no, I'm, I know yeah. fifty and sixty year olds. They do not look like that. Yeah, and so anyway, anyway, that's yeah. a very that was interesting little tangent. In his room, Johan researches the files that he got from the sub-basement, and there's a bunch of Easter eggs in here. Um, there's just a ton. Oh, yeah. So we see uh, the Black Flame. Black Flame. We see him on the wing of a airplane. We see the Crimson Lotus, and the Crimson Lotus has this weird monkey creature. Mm. We see this unknown person 
shot moments before an explosion in NYC Armory in 37. We see this thing coming out of the ground, um, some sort of monster. It says Malines. Just a billion question marks. With a bunch of question marks. We see the Steel Hawk after capture. I thought this was interesting. In the sketchbook, it says that Guy Davis based the Steel Hawk character here on Peter Lorre. Oh, wow. In a movie where he wears a neck brace. And huh. we've already had another reference to Peter Lorre in Box Full of right, Evil because yeah. Mike Mignola based the look of Igor Bromhead on Lorre as well. So I thought that was interesting. And then we see this crazy shot at the end of these guys with a flamethrower and this giant metal suit person just walking up. So all that is really intriguing. I wish I could say more, but I won't. (laughs) We are no spoilers podcast. Yeah. Daimyo approaches. Pretty wild times, eh? And he startles Johan. He tells him that he was right about drilling into the sub-basement and getting that nut out of there. Tomorrow we'll send him out to Walt Reed. So Walter Reed is... uh, hospital right yeah and they can take care of him we can get back to work then captain i'm not so sure about that johan says no i am not so sure at all and johan just leaves the room he just walks away from him daimyo says what's that mean hey i'm talking to you damn it you kraut kicking your ass may not be possible but i'll sure try if you don't get it back and daimyo runs around the corner and he sees this giant machine just all of a sudden in the hallway, he's pretty startled by this. And I didn't notice it the first time. It looks like there's a skeleton in the machine. Oh, my gosh. Like driving oh, yeah. it or whatever. I actually didn't yeah. notice that until you said that. We cut to Ice. And he's creeping around with some keys. He opens a locker and there's this bright light. He's creeping around with some keys. Back to Daimyo and the machine. Now we see it's that machine that caused the explosion. In the flashback, that's the same machine. But they're saying that it's not a machine. It's just like a a movie prop, which is weird. Liz asks, why did Gunter seem like you'd understand what he was talking about earlier? How the hell should I know? Maybe because he's a friggin' nut. You saw his notes. And Daimyo is trying to get to Johan, but he can't. The elevator is not working for another half hour. I think it's interesting that... Like, the typewriter is all old and fucked up, so he's just punching holes in paper right, somehow. Because yeah. there's, no, well, ri- I I guess guess there's he- no ribbon. Well, and I think that also he's been punching on the same paper for years and years and years. So it's the little hammers have just yeah, eaten it's through just the cool. paper. It's just yeah. interesting. Yeah. Funny thing is, the technician says, this is just a hunk of junk. No moving parts, no engine, like a movie prop. So yeah, just like you were saying. That is funny, Roger reacts. Hilarious, Daimyo says. And Guy Davis draws all these machines really well. Johan is like working on all these circuit boards and it just looks like a tremendous amount of work to do all this. Yeah, that looks like I it's just the amount of little detail line work. Right. It, it simultaneously looks like a lot of fun and like a huge headache. Right. And it's got that nice like 1950s yeah. computer, sure. you know, like a lot of dials and uh, switches and stuff. Johan starts up the machines and they hum. So there's like this screen that Johan's looking at and the machine screen says, beware, Johan. Yeah, beware. Only beware of what? And Johan sees these men appear on the monitor. And then Johan starts speaking in German again. And um, again, the old Google Translate told me, where? Where have you been? I felt her but couldn't hear, could not touch her. The men on the screen reach out, and Johan uses his ectoplasm, and then these ghosts kind of come out of the machine. They rush out. Yeah, because Johan's a ghost. Right. I mean. 
and just all hell breaks loose in the facility. All the lights start to blow out, and these ghosts are just screaming through all the hallways. Daimyo starts, and everyone's covering their ears because they're making a loud sound, and Daimyo just starts to shoot at them. God damn it, I knew this was going to happen. Shooting at ghosts. Back in Rhode Island, the storm is picking up, and Kate can't get to Call's house where Abe is. The officer tells her that the road ahead is washed out. I gotta say that's a, a nice little transition, like because uh, you transition into a thunderstorm from the. He's like, God damn it! I knew this was gonna happen, and then you can almost hear that. Right? Yeah. Great. That old place has been there a long time. When the storm's over, it'll be there or it won't. The officer says. Back in Abe's macabre Victorian hallucination in the call house, Edith tells him, "Can you hear it? The world outside, howling wind and waves." But not here. They cannot find us here. My love, my love. And this is just one of the creepiest scenes, right? As this like monster embraces Abe and he just drops the photograph. So it just seems like he's truly kind of taken over by this fantasy or whatever. Well, I wouldn't say monster. I'd say more like um, the corpse of the woman, you know, the, the skeleton. Right, yeah. You know. That's not to say that she couldn't have been a monster in real life, so we never know. <laughs> right. Back at the BPRD field office, the ghosts continue to terrorize the agents, and Daimyo continues to shoot at them. What I'd say, Sherman, what did I fucking say to you about this? Stop shooting at it, Liz yells. It won't do any good. No, it won't, huh? How about you fix it your way, then? Daimyo responds. I'm going to see if I can find somebody to shoot. And he climbs onto the machine... And this skeleton driver that we saw kind of jumps out at him. And Daimyo shoots it to pieces. Well, that's a start, he says. And I also notice you see Roger coming up behind him. So when Daimyo runs onto the machine, he's like, I'm going to find someone to shoot. Roger's like, I'm coming too. He's right behind him there. Yeah, in that last panel too. He's like, okay, the action's that way. Let's go. (laughs) These two agents are freaking out and they see ice at the elevator. Hey, man, that elevator working? And the elevator opens behind ice, and it's full of these bugs. And the way Guy Davis draws this messy mass is terrifying. And they swarm the agents. But, like, all these little, like... Yeah. I mean... It's like centipedes and bees and moths and just all manner of insects. Now, I actually will say, I like insects. I like moths and cicadas, and I like scarabs and, and, you know dragonflies and all this sort of thing but if there were a billion of anything (laughs) at once it could be anything i would be extremely unimpressed with that i would not enjoy that at all that that is very unpleasant no matter what it is and as all the bugs swarm the agents ice enters the elevator back with daimyo and roger daimyo tells roger that there may be some trouble with your plexiglass pal And they encounter another giant machine or, yeah, they encounter this other machine in the hallway. It's like, yeah, somebody's trying to keep them from getting to Johan. How the hell did he move these things, Daimyo asks. He asks Roger if he can budget open. Roger does and he sees Johan within. He has machines strapped to his back and he's looking at these maps or blueprints. Johan, Johan, it's me, Roger. And again, I Google translated this stuff. Probably not completely correct, but it says something like, Yes, whether the density function or the matter wave with the suspension field is configured. No, no, no. Everything is wrong. They're all idiots. All. Something like that, Johan says. 
you should take that translation and put it back into Google Translate back into German and then take that back into German back into English. <laughs> <laughs> Just see what happens if it's if it's similar. Apparently, you know, apparently there's this whole YouTube phenomenon where people. Yeah, take, that's the thing. Yeah. I saw one of those. Oh with wow! The, they did a Moana song like that. It was really creepy. I saw them do the Frozen song. <laughs> yeah. Wow, interesting. I think there's something wrong with Johan. Roger says, <laughs> "You do, huh?" Daimyo responds, "Well, it's good to know you're around if we ever need a psychic." And the ghosts appear and they pass through the machine where Johan is. It's a very interesting reading that you gave for, for Damio's line. It's always interesting to see how other people interpret the voice that they hear when they read a character's thoughts. Like when they're How would of, you read it? You do, huh? <laughs> like a very sarcastic oh you do huh? well yeah, that's what I mean. It's yeah. very just it's very interesting yeah. to like to to see other way other people would hear a character speak and and i think that that's it really comes through when like you get a good casting on something right in a movie or a tv show that's why i'm always so obsessed with like the casting yeah of stuff i'm like oh i can see him that? playing that guy and him playing this person and she would be good for this role and i don't know it's just very like what do you think like the announcement that daniel day kim is going to be this guy like, oh yeah great. i could definitely yeah. see him especially from the job he did on lost he's awesome well he yeah i mean of, he's uh, in a lot of yeah, stuff yeah but yeah i think his character on lost lends itself well to this character he's in a he's in a ton of stuff he's he's great i gotta say i was thinking of myself like i was kind of hearing it more a little um sarcastic gruddle gr- you uh, do gr- huh very like, low guttural thank you sure thank you. okay um and also because he's got that huge gash scar thing on his face, you figure sure. that might affect the way his voice sounds. Oh, yeah. Sounds. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But uh, then I try to hear it in Daniel Day Kim's voice as well. Right, <laughs> yeah. Roger and Daimyo hear this E sound. Listen to that. They're hurting Johan, Roger says. Aww. And Daimyo shoots into the container. He's just shooting. I know. He's just shooting everything. What good did that do, Roger says. Shut up and give me your sidearm, Daimyo responds. I don't have a sidearm. Why does everyone think I have a gun? Roger asks. Don't worry, kid. Next time somebody asks you, you will, Daimyo says. I don't know if Roger would even be comfortable using a gun. I don't think he would ever even touch it. (laughs) Yeah. Daimyo updates Liz on what's happened with Johan, and he learns of the bugs. The guards are still alive, and they tell Daimyo that Ice didn't say a thing, just walked onto the elevator like he was being polite, like he'd been waiting for them to come off. Look, Captain, Liz says, what the hell is your problem anyway? You act like this is my fault somehow. And Daimo just smashes this bug on the wall and orders for every agent with a gun in the joint. <laughs> he says they're going down to the Nazi hidey hole to ask Ice some hard questions. And these agents ask to be transferred. We really don't want to work here anymore, one <laughs> says. And they're all covered with all those bug bites and everything. It yeah. struck me as a very Venture Brothers kind of, because you, you, we were getting a rare glimpse into the <laughs> the henchmen of the bprd right. kind of a thing like that whole their their perspective their point of view is just god this fucking job sucks like right. you were talking about the last right when they're riding episode, up those frog yeah. monsters maybe these guys had to do that it's and then now after this they're like hey we're done <laughs> i like how the bprd has henchmen because so, i mean that's you know good guy henchmen yeah <laughs> <laughs> well no but it's like yeah with any organization you're gonna get these guys and so Getting a little insight into them is is really where I, a lot of those comedic beats lie and sure. stuff like the Venture Brothers. So I, I really like yeah. that little uh, that I like those little moments in these scripts. Those little punctuations of of comedy is is it's a good balance to offset this really horrific story right. that is also great. It's they're, they're great storylines. The A and B plot really fantastic. 
but it's always good to kind of punch it up with this and, and give you a little break and you know kind of see what these guys are up to right yeah i like all the little agent parts and we'll see some more agents in the future back in rhode island abe is still trapped in the vision with edith she tells langdon to stay with her forever separate from the world and beyond the reach of time and outside the storm is picking up all these all these creepy pencils are just amazing uh i, I keep saying that every time we have one of these scenes no, yeah, but great guy davis like there was an article that came out this week where it says it's definitive. Hellboy is the definitive horror comic, oh, best yeah. horror comic of all time. I or mean, someone. how could it and not when I, be? And when I see panels like this, I'm just like, yes, this is just the best horror content that you know that exists in modern comics yeah. today. And it's got it all. I mean, Hellboy's got it covers literally everything you could possibly want it to yeah. cover. In the sub basement of the BPRD field office, Ice has himself hooked up to some contraption. You already know. You can tell what it is. And yeah, and he and he has something that looks like the Spear of Destiny. According to the Gospel of John, this is the spear that stabbed Jesus. Daimyo confronts Ice with a bunch of agents, and Ice confirms that it is Longius' spear, or the spear of destiny. Daimyo says he's got Ice covered, but Ice raises the spear, and it sends a shock through the team. Roger is upset that Liz got hurt. And Ice tells Roger that he knows Roger absorbed most of the energy that might have hurt her. So he knows about Roger's powers. This is why I had to give, he tells Roger, and now I will take away, and Ice uses the spear to drain Roger's energy. Daimyo confronts Ice, but his gun is all fused by the electrical surge from the spear. Ice tells Daimyo that he knew he was stronger than the others. So this is what you've been up to down here all this time, plotting to take over the world? That it? Daimyo asks. And Ice laughs. Captain, you see things with a sinister eye, yes. But you will know, and soon, that this is all to the good. Ice says that his research team on Operation Himmelmach, they used the Robe of Christ and the Spear at the end of the war. The relics ended up in this new BPRD headquarters, and for that reason, Ice asked to be transferred there. And we see him stealing the Spear in one of these little flashbacks. He's like got in the box, and he's running away with it. And he started working on his vision to open a door into the Kingdom of Heaven. But his colleagues grew suspicious. And his colleagues, they look like those same men that Johan saw in the monitor, right? Right. Oh, I mean, it's the same. Uh, now, like, are they the all... same po poses and everything? Are yeah. They, are they all Nazi doctors, though? I, I mean, it, it doesn't say. I guess some of them might might be, but not all of them. Well, it's like after World War II ended. Um, the U.S. employed like a whole right. bunch of the Nazis. Yeah, like, you I know. know. That's what I'm so, saying. Like, they, I mean, are they Nazi doctors? Well, uh, German doctors. Oh, well, they are German. Yeah, so maybe they are. But this guy was specifically a fucking Nazi. Oh yeah, yeah. So they are his compatriots. Right, they're his colleagues. Uh, so I fuck guess. these guys, basically. Actually, like, I don't know if they are. We, why yeah. would they all be working together and then all go over to the well they're US? all they're working for the bprd maybe they're all put together because he said he had to apply for the job mm. and he said there were lots of factions within and so yeah he had to he specifically asked to be tra asked to be transferred there so these guys already worked there and he uh, transferred in he was the only nazi maybe guy. i don't know i mean not all germans were nazis no i i know that. so maybe they were germans but not nazis I don't see how you would put a German guy who is not a Nazi and a German guy who was a Nazi together on the same fucking team and well, they would be hanging out. He didn't tell him he was a Nazi. Okay. Right. And they didn't like him. Yeah. Like, cause, so that's what we learn here is sure. the colleagues grew suspicious of what he was doing. 
and they weren't down with all that. So they informed their director and action was taken and we see ice being removed but his machine had an anti-tamper device built into it so when they tried to figure out what he was doing it caused it all to blow up back in the sub basement ice carves into the door with a spear without the spear in the robe in place the device triggered a brief uncontrolled time space anomaly the devastation was massive i can't blame the army for walling off the sub basement then how the hell you survive it daimyo says i I am the light and the life, sealed in this tomb, waiting to be discovered by you, the walking dead. Yes, I know about you, the homunculus, the fire maker, even Johan. All visitors to the dark corridors of the beyond. All resurrected. Brought back by the grace of the All-Father so that you may hand me the key, and so that I might open the gate. And so I guess he's, he's making a gate out of the spear and this wall or whatever this pillar is. And he knows everything about the BPRD agents. This is not a matter of faith. The kingdom of heaven is a real and knowable place, Ice says. My calculations and my visions have shown me the Elysian fields and the six-winged seraphim. The spear of destiny etches this gate through which they may pass into our lives. And when paradise has come to pass on the earth, Captain, you will thank me. And Ice like activates his whatever he's got strapped to him. And I kind of looked this up as well. The Elysian Fields, also called Elysium, is the final resting place of the souls of the heroic and the virtuous in Greek mythology and religion. Seraphim or seraphs mean burning ones or nobles. Seraphim are only described in the Bible on one occasion. This is in the book of the prophet Isaiah when he is being commissioned by God to be a prophet and he has a vision of heaven. These types of heavenly beings have six wings, but they only use two of them for flying. It sounds strange. The other wings were used to cover their face and feet. They may cover their face because being so close to God, they would witness his full glory and it would be too powerful to behold. And then feet are considered unclean. In some versions, it's the genitals instead of feet. And so Ice activates his device and this bulge starts forming on his chest and it gets bigger and bigger until it kind of bursts out and then he kind of turns inside out and only guy davis can pull off this transformation in the sketchbook there is an even more detailed and Uh, grisly version of this and what i like is so this black thing that comes out is the head it ends up like opening up to the head of this giant like you like you just said he's turning inside out it's really fucking right yeah And yeah, he becomes this fucking giant crazy bug. And it's got like this big kind of spear kind of light thing. And the wings is the rest of that dude's flesh. Right. So gross. Oh, okay. I was thinking it was like some sort of like smoke wings or something. (laughs) Or maybe it's smoke wings, but it looks like it's the flappies. Yeah, gross. That just makes it even. <laughs> it's a no. It's a fantastic idea. It's just horrific. Oh yeah, horrific, no. Oh yeah. yeah, no, no. I meant like you know, yeah. if I were to see that in person, yeah, that would just. Be oh no, exactly. That's what makes it so great. Horrible. Yeah. With this whole bug thing coming out, Daimyo continues to look for a gun that works. What is that? Roger asks. Who knows? Daimyo answers. One of these six-wing seraphims, old Gunter was talking about, maybe. And this bug is incredibly gross. That doesn't look like an angel to me, Roger says, and the bug starts stabbing at them with a spear, igniting the room with fire. I like that the spear is now just this huge on fire thing. Right, it's just like a shape. It's just like a light shape or something. Guy Davis does a good job with that. And is this, 
I also like the depiction of this creature of having this kind of spooky mask almost. Yeah. yeah. That's neat. I noticed that and I, I completely forgot to mention and it. And bugs do look like that. Some of them do look like Some they wear a mask. Some of them look like yeah. that. It's neat. The agents try to get in the elevator, but it doesn't seem to work. Daimyo says he can't take the bug out empty-handed. Must be something down here. And so he continues to rummage around looking for something. And we get this shot of Johan. I love it. Oh, my God. So... I think the first time that I read this, like I literally like stood up yes. when I saw this and was like, oh, my God. Like I just this is one of my I've I've read so much BPRD and I've seen so much of Guy Davis's art. And this has to be one of my favorite Guy Davis pages of all time. It's such a great page. It's just so dynamic. And where it drops in the story, it's just like it's like if it was a movie, everybody would cheer. That's the big action. When they oh, saw, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And I just love Johan with all these machines. He's got this giant, all this stuff strapped to his back. Super it looks cool. all kind of Almost haphazardly. And yeah, and this other like keyboard thing that he has kind of looks like a gun. And it just looks awesome. I just really love this shot. And I like the uh, kaboom. Yeah. Sure. It just like makes it go. And so the bug, back with the bug, it's kind of carving with the spear, kind of like ice was. And it's making all these runes, and they're all kind of glowing into this thing. So I guess he's making the gate. All these weird symbols, yeah. Yeah. The team tries to figure out what to do when Roger hears the elevator coming. Roger asks, why do they need guns? They have Liz. (laughs) And Liz says she doesn't think her powers will help. The bug already uses fire, and the fire is too dangerous indoors. And suddenly, Johan arrives with the suit. I really like this moment. (laughs) It's great. They just kind of see him with all this stuff, and... Roger goes, Johan, and then he just starts saying all this stuff in German again. The communication lines in the complex were destroyed. We have to change the situation. I'll handle this alone, is what I, again, what I got from the Google Translate. English, Johan, English, Liz says, and then the bug is just stabbing at at them with the fire. So it's just creating all this havoc. And it fries some of the, I see these two skeletons in the corner. I was trying to figure out, were those some of the other agents that were standing around? Oh, no. Yeah, because he gets somebody. Yeah. I see what you mean about fire down here, Roger says. He's always learning. (laughs) Daimyo opens a crate. Damn it, sounds like things are getting out of hand. Can't find a gun soon. I'll have to. And Daimyo rips off the lid of the crate, and he's surprised by what he finds. It was that thing that we saw with the black flame. With the crimson lotus. Crimson lotus, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Roger pulls a pipe from the machine. Sure, it's big, he says, but if I can get one good smack in, who knows? <laughs> I can't believe Captain Daimyo was right, Liz says. We weren't prepared for any of this. We went about it all wrong. Hey, wait a minute. Where's Johan? And we see Johan. He's like hanging from the ceiling with this giant backpack machine, and he's working on this machine. And now let's see if your petty insignificant quarrels have done anything, is what I had uh, from the Google Translate there. And back with Daimyo, like Danielle said, he seems weirded out by this baby monkey thing in the jar. It's the same thing we saw in the Crimson Lotus it's in that got, file like, folder. It's the face of a dude. It's just really weird. So if you look in the sketchbook in the little notes that Guy Davis draws, we learn that they are snow monkeys with no mask faces. No is classical Japanese dance theater, often based on tales from traditional literature with a supernatural being transformed into human form as a hero narrating a story. So it's a snow monkey with this mask on it or whatever. Yeah. There was a, I read something about how there's a place where snow monkeys 
have their own little hot springs. Oh, yeah. And they come in and hang out in the hot springs. I thought that was precious. There's nothing to do with the story, but that's... This doesn't look like one of those snow monkeys. No. <laughs> Back with Liz and Roger. Roger goes to hit the monster with the pipe, but Liz thinks he should wait. That thing is coming for us, Liz, anyway. I'm pretty tough, he says. Aww. Come on, you ugly freak. And he kind of bashes the bug in the head. I really like this choice from Roger. You know, he's like standing up for Liz and he's like, you know, I feel like some of Daimyo is kind of already rubbing off on him because yeah. he followed him. And then now all of a sudden now he's, he's like, very... he's yeah. all about finding a weapon too. <laughs> Johan is starting up some device and we see some blue energy and the bug flies away from Liz and Roger and they just look at each other puzzled. Oh, he's going to find the guide. Yeah, the bug goes towards the hole. And this was that same hole that Johan saw earlier when he was talking about geomantic energy. And the bug is, I guess, attracted to it. And then it burns. It starts burning him up or something. And we also see Daimyo has taken that monkey creature in the jar. There's a huge explosion. And afterwards, Liz and Roger check out the wreckage. Wow, all that stuff. Just gone, Roger says. All those files and everything. What the hell just happened, Liz asks. Hold on, is that Gunter? And we see this shriveled up, burned old man. You know, I guess he's turned back into a man from the from the bug, whatever that... Whatever I would not you... want to come back from that. Yeah. Well, I guess he turned right side in. Yeah, yeah, but that's like, I would not want... I would... No. And he says, devil, Satanist, it's not over. And he just collapses on the ground, this like naked, burned, shriveled old man. Johan must have some kind of explanation for this, I hope, Liz says. Hey, Liz, look, Roger points, and the spirits of all the doctors, the colleagues who worked against ice, float out of Johan's suit into the air. Johan comes to his senses, and he explains what we've already figured out. They were the colleagues who died there. They used Johan to stop Ice's plan. Ice had become a living gateway into his nightmare heaven, through which one creature might pass into our world. The next move, my friends, was to expand that portal using all living tissue as building material. They asked Johan, is Ice still like that? And Johan explains that Ice is just human now. That threshold cannot be reopened. And then we hear gunshots. Mm -hmm. Daimyo has shot Ice. Just to be sure, he says. It was messed up. And so I do kind of like that. It's like, I'm not going to play around with no. any of this. Is he all right now? Is he still the bug? No, he's fine. I, the guy, let's he's, just murder him. Let's just shoot him. And then we're done with that. I mean, he was a Nazi. Yeah, so. I guess. So. Yeah. But then and here, I hadn't caught this the first time around. I guess Johan clarifies that these other doctors were nice guys. Oh, he does so say I that? I think that he okay. says, yeah, he says, they're nice men, and so I think that that's, that okay. clarifies what I was trying to... I don't know how I missed that the first and, time and, around. And I think that's interesting because that means that Mignola and Arcudi had to kind of think about that and be like, oh, we want to make sure that yeah. we clarify this for the reader, you know, that these weren't... These yeah. guys were all right. Fucked up of America to try and throw in Nazi doctors with normal, nice cool doctors right. that's part of the if historical I found out I was fiction yeah with a nazi i'd be like oh but why am i why am i doing that <laughs> back with abe in rhode island the storm is over and langdon sees a covered piece of furniture with edith what is that he asks her why is it covered it's a mirror he says leave it be edith says leave it covered i don't need to look call says i know what i'd see the truth we are what we've become i can't do this i can't live in a dream he doesn't remember that life 
He's trying to encourage Edith to, you know, face the truth about about what's happened. Right. All this sort of thing. It's a very um, trying to bring the ghost to peace sort of thing. Right, yeah. But this isn't real. I know that you want to stay here, but you, you know, try and move on and all this sort of thing. And she's, before she never really had any kind of closure, I guess. She never really had the strength to face that truth and you know so she's she's like i really don't want to and he's like but you're trapped in this lie i don't want to face the truth you have to face it you'll be free and she's like oh can't you stay with me he's like i really can't and then these next few pages are some of the most touching pages i've seen so far in in any of these stories that we've read and they're just so lovingly rendered by guy davis the pacing is beautiful and so she it's just a beautiful panel she pulls off the sheet in one swift motion and she's standing there, this beautiful young woman. And in the mirror is this very cold and dark, but very delicate skeleton. It's not a scary, creepy, gross horror movie skeleton. It's just a skeleton. And it's, it's all very elegant. Now everything is very calm and, and, and fine. And so, you know, you and you see him standing there. And he says, "Forgive me. It's very elegant. The lighting is different. It's brighter." She looks out the window, looking out onto the sea. It's 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 not supposed to be intimidating. It's, you know, the angles are all very peaceful. The world is beautiful, beautiful, but for me it was too hard. Think of me. Goodbye. And I thought that was so touching and so yeah. moving. And who yeah. who hasn't felt like that at one point in their life? The world is very beautiful, but for me, it's too hard, you know? And so for really for this person, she couldn't even face it after she was gone from the world. She couldn't even face that. So the fact that Abe would stick around this whole time and and most people would just freak out, but he, he waded through all of that and said, look, I'm not going to be mad that you tried to trick me into staying here with you. I'm going to try and work you through this and you have to face it. And he just, is very patient while she fades away and and I think that that's something that even if you come across something that maybe is creepy and scary and gross it's worth another right. a second investigation saying well really what is behind this and we see some of that too with Hellboy he he helps ghosts sometimes you know shades of when he helped that little girl that was a creepy scary ghost but she deserved right, closure yeah, as well and that's so true. I thought that that was a very um it's it's interesting that Abe is constantly getting the very somber beats of these stories, yeah. the very like sad boy listening to the cure beats <laughs> here. You know, it's a very elegant ending to a very yeah. sad storyline. And mm-hmm. I thought that that was very precious and a very um, an interesting way to finish that off. A really interesting. He, it could have gone the really scary route, but it was very ended up being, you know, the lighting here is very. Mm-hmm positive and happy and kind of she's getting she found peace and it's just very interesting but he's um left now with this last panel at the very end here and this kind of run it's a rundown house again the light's shining through the window but it's still just a ruined house where he used to live with his wife and he's kind of left thinking what the fuck just happened who am i was that my wife like right yeah oh my god you know so it's just a very poignant i would say yes. moment there at the end i agree i was gonna say i, I like how it, it didn't go the scary beat and how it went into the more nice peaceful way you know accepting the time has moved on and you can't keep living in the same place you have to 
move forward. Right. And for him too, now he's he's stuck with this kind of a thing that just happened. And yeah. I wonder how that will affect him going forward. He's he's already a very somber kind of man, so it's right. it's it's sort of all unraveling here, his whole story. He's catching up with who he was and who he is and trying to, you know Reconcile. Yeah, trying to reconcile those things. And and that's yeah, it's just a very poignant leaves you wondering where is it going to go? Yeah. So. I really like all everything y'all had to say. I like when she opens the window. Yes. That panel where she opens the window. It's a very beautiful yeah. panel. That and, whole page is and just any, lovely. In any, in any other, I guess, illustration, you would not picture it being a skeleton doing that. Yeah. You would you could easily put like a beautiful woman there and go, oh, that's that's beautiful, you know, but instead it's this skeleton and she kind of fades away. Well, and it's like, shades of Mignola there. Yeah. Too. And, uh, and it's um the I mean and also uh, we always have to mention Dave Stewart. I think that he oh, right, did a lovely yeah. job kind of adding the tones that we would need to interpret this in the specific way. And uh, just that shot of her right before she fades, you know, think of me. Right. Her face yeah. there is very it's just very poignant. It also kind of made me think of Ilsa who was put in the uh, Iron Maiden, mm. how Rasputin just right. kind of, you know, he just talked to her and convinced her to kind of go, I mean, like, not as in, like, you the, know, In the other way, you mean. Yeah, 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 kind of in a flip side, you yeah, know. Yeah, sure, uh, yeah. You know, it wasn't a lot of, there wasn't no action, it was just all a lot of just dialogue and, you know, just storytelling yes. to get to that point. Oh, you know? yeah, I agree, yeah. for sure. And it's, it's those little moments are so, are carried off so well yeah. with these guys. I think that we're really in good hands with the um, the writer- artist teams that we've gotten yeah it's just, yeah. yeah and then it, it it just just reminds me that this is such an awesome story that we've been reading yeah, <laughs> yeah it's been really great i want to talk a little bit about the afterward mignola writes enter john arcudi when i decided i wanted someone to co-write bprd with me john was the only name on the list i'd known him for years knew we spoke the same language when it comes to old monsters and comics most importantly, he's not only a great writer, but he's also a master of combining humor, my kind of humor, with horror. When I asked him to come on board, he said yes right away. If he said no, well, I don't want to think about that. If he said no, there's a good chance you wouldn't be holding a second collection of BPRD stories. Wow, so he was he was so committed to this. He yeah. was like, look, if I can't get this guy, I don't want to do it at all. That's really interesting. It almost certainly wouldn't be this good. After writing Plague of Frogs, I knew I wanted to push the BPRD in a new direction. I wanted to relocate them into a mountain. And as is so often the case, when you move into a mountain, I knew I wanted something bad to happen there. <laughs> I also wanted to introduce a new hard-ass, formerly dead, military-type character. Over a couple of lunches and a lot of phone calls, John and I hammered out the basic plot for the dead. He wrote everything that happens in the new headquarters, and I wrote the sequences with Abe and his dead wife. And so you had just said it seemed very Mignola. Yeah. It was a clean, simple, and organized way to work, and we have never done anything like it since. So, and we'll read the rest of that afterward next week. There were some more details that I wanted to point out from the sketchbook really quick. When he draws Abe's wife in her skeleton form on the little designs, it says um, that he always wanted her teeth showing. I wanted her to be a dark mass of hair and gunk, almost a silhouette, until seen up close. Not to be uh morbid but i've read um mary roach's book stiff stiff yeah and that's a good one she really describes it's it's really interesting um if you haven't heard of mary roach actually john turned me on to her she's got a lot of really excellent books stiff is one of them um anyway the natural death process of like 
corpse decaying kind of a thing is one of the first things you know that happens is like your eyes turn into jelly and all this stuff and you kind of bloat up a little bit but your your teeth are immediately like exposed the lips kind of curl back mm. on your face and the skin and it kind of gets really tight and your teeth right so that's start, what it would yeah, look like so that's yeah. what it would look like so it's actually really super accurate corpse thing that is i i that immediately sprang to mind when i thought about when i saw that i thought about that anyway sorry to be no. completely gross <laughs> no I, I was actually kind of picturing a, a corpse like that but i had no idea how to describe it or what the process was so, right so yeah, thank that's you for what that happens when yeah, yeah so it's yeah. just a, it's not like horror for horror's sake it's horror in a very real depiction of it it's like decay yeah yeah. Where Guy Davis describes the power pack that Johan wore. We wanted Johan's power pack to make him look like a sort of debris-covered hermit crab. <laughs> <laughs> and it says, Gunter's more stylish and less cumbersome power pack unfortunately made it look like he was wearing a sports bra. Uh. That little power pack that Ice had. And um, I'm trying to see if there's anything else in here. The Angel des- was the design in the series that went through the most reworking. While the basic body shape remained the same, the head went through a lot of redesigns. Originally, it was a black mass of tentacles, but that was considered too close in feel for the design of Abe's wife with her matted black hair. Mm. The final direction for the angel's head was inspired by a hecky crab, where the top of the head would be a shell that would resemble a stylized tribal face while the actual mouth and face would be hidden under the mass of arms. That's kind of like what you were talking about. Awesome, awesome. Great discussion on this one. I'm so glad you guys liked it. I was going to say, okay, so the the new character, Damio, um, when I first started reading through this, I was like, man, who is this guy? But uh, going through it here with you guys, I kind of liked him a little bit better, but um, I just recently watched Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. I hadn't seen it since before we started this book club. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, Johan's in that one. So he's excited. Johan shows up, and he's not acting like Johan. Right. From the comic. Yeah. yeah. I feel like they kind of made him whack more like Damio, he was the guy who was brought in to be the leader. Oh, like they and he's combined them. Yeah, they kind of took the one personality. Yeah, and kind of combined the two of them together, and he became like the agent who was like the one in charge. Mm. Yeah, you, that's really interesting. I never by made the that rules and all that. Interesting. So. I mean, You're probably, absolutely right on that. It probably helps that you know I read the story and watched the movie in the same week. So <laughs> yeah, no, that's really good. And like Danielle was saying. Daimyo is supposed to be in the new movie, too, so he'll be Daniel Day Kim, so that'll be interesting to see. So I want to talk a little bit about our reading order for next week. Like Nathaniel Green was saying, I really need to get a list up there so y'all can reference. This is a little complicated, so the next two stories in the omnibus, War of Frogs and The Black Flame, when these stories went into the omnibus, they were shuffled around for a better reading order. And The Black Flame, number one, became War on Frogs, chapter one. So if you're reading along with us through the omnibus, you'll be fine. That's where we're reading from, and that's where the stories have been shuffled around. So next week, we're going to do War on Frogs, which does include the Black Flame number one. And we're also going to throw in the short story Revival, which is in the omnibus. And we're also going to talk about Abe Sapien Lost Lives. And that story, you would have to go into the Abe Sapien, uh, the, the Drowning and Other Stories omnibus to get that one. Or if you have Ave Sapien Volume 9, the trade paperback, that story is also there. So we're going to be discussing that story as well because it kind of fits in there. And we've had some reader feedback that we should include it. And I thought it would be fun to do. So anyway, it's a little confusing over the next two weeks. But if you're reading it along with the omnibus versions, you'll be fine. We're going to be in book two, War on Frogs. 
All right, so with all that being said, now Aubrey's going to say all the things. So share with us your thoughts on The Dead. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can send that to hellboybookclub at gmail.com. You can also join us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. And also check out our friends at Mignolaverse. You can find the podcast at Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. On our next episode, we're going to be discussing the War of Frog stories, just like John just mentioned. So pull out your back issues and digitals and whatevers and uh, join us along next time. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, bring in Captain Zombie. <laughs> awesome. <laughs>